Good morning, honey hole hangout. <laughs> Tuesday, 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 Taco Tuesday. <laughs> Man, nobody wanted to take that. I, didn't, I, didn't I wasn't what, ready. I think I just pointed at Joe's faces. I was like, yeah, they got to well, get last, faces. Last week's, I was like, man, I've always wanted to do that. I always want to sing like a, a ring announcer. And then, and then you know, you throw that, that single out, this signal out to me, Landon, and I was like, oh, I don't have anything. What ready? What you know, the good thing is, though, pretty shortly no one will have to do the good morning. That's right. We uh, have an introduction, official, like a real podcast. Like you listen to a podcast, and they have like something great. A fancy guy. A fancy guy we gave saying money fancy to. words. Make an intro. That is coming soon, so you will, you guys will miss the good morning. But we'll have some, uh, we'll have the John Deere guys soothing your, soothing your morning and when you turn on the podcast. Like well, it. guys, welcome to Honey Hole Hangout. We have myself, Landon. We have Zach. We have Gabe. The normal crew. Our special guest today is Jim, and I'm going to ask Aylesworth. you, Aylesworth, because I ale like your drink, Aylesworth. Okay. Perfect. That ale's worth it. That's easy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. He actually said it better than my wife did. <laughs> so today we got a lot to cover. Uh, Jim has some really interesting questions for us, and we're going to talk to him about a couple of things. We're going to talk about my camping and trip and fishing tournament. Uh, we had a lunar eclipse. Zach went fishing. Jim went to the TU meeting. Gabe helped with 201. Zach and Gabe went to a bar. Um, <laughs> and Jim has a cryptozoology story for us. I mean, we are, like, all over the map today. We're going to come at you guys. Um, we're going we're gonna to be. We're going to go. We're going to go. So I hope you guys are ready. Uh, just like the movie Clue did, which we did in our uh, latest movie oh, review. Oh, man, like Tim Curry and Clue. We're going yeah. yeah. to run, we're gonna run, run, run. But we'll get it. Through today's episode. <laughs> but first... A note from our sponsor. <laughs> Jim, do you know who our sponsor is? Dos Equis. Dos That would be really nice. That would be great. No, would be. no well, it's this is, us. This is, this is actually a- Spanish for <laughs> the honey hole <laughs> hangout. I just heard the ads for Dos Equis. That's why. Oh, yeah. oh we're, we're, we're sponsoring ourselves. Yep. Yeah. So. Honey hole angling. Jim recently had a purchasing experience from our website, so maybe you could shed a little bit of light on that experience. Well, by all means, I met you guys all at Trout Fest, and then what yeah. I found out was is that it, basically a, a podcast I had not listened to, so at Landon's suggestion, I started listening to it, got hooked on it, just like everyone else listens to your podcast, and really enjoyed it. And as I've corresponded with Landon, the reason it's different is all podcasts have great information and some interesting stories. You guys are just having fun, and that's why I knew... I could call in from Sugarland, or I could drive out to San Antonio, and here I am. <laughs> yeah. Because I wanted to in on the fun. Back to my point about FOMO. I had a fear of missing <laughs> out. I don't want to miss out on the fun. Well, Jim, we are so glad you are yeah. here. At we went X. to dinner then, before this. It's been like a yeah. great. It's been a great evening. Yeah, it's been a lot of conversation to get to this point, and I was like, scared to bring up stuff in our dinner because I didn't want to ruin this. Ruin this. We, yes, actually, we actually had that conversation at dinner. We're like, yeah. oh, we get up. Oh no, no, let's save it for the podcast. Save it for the podcast. Yeah. But the other thing I did was that you uh, had uh, a great author, Kevin. Obviously, on the I'm not Kevin. I'm um, Steve. Steve, Steve yeah, yeah. and on the podcast, and I had his first book, and so when I heard you had an. Uh, whatever, autographed copy of it. Mm -hmm. I ordered that. And then the uh, flat earth, uh, fishing the flat. We were going (laughs) to add, I forgot about that. Why? So why did you order that sticker out of all the available stickers? Because, uh, well, again, remember we talked a little bit of politics and I'm kind of a libertarian, but was once a conservative and on the right wing. My son is a Marxist on the left side. And so he always says, Dad, you and the flat earth society. And that's always what he's coming back with. And when I saw that, I go, I need that sticker. Yeah. 
And because I'm one of those guys that collects stickers, and I've got yeah. about four or five hundred of them, right, of every genre, everything about fly fishing. And that one was just a classic and unique, and that's why I liked it. But it was more about my son. Yeah, that's earth. awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, what we is haven't it? we haven't talked about the flat Earth in a long probably. Oh, man, we hammered that hard. We hammered that hard yeah. early, early. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've been more on the uh, on the birds aren't real bandwagon than the birds aren't real is great. Yeah, but, they're, but they're not, by the way. They aren't. Yeah, I know. Okay, they're good. Little, yeah, robots. <laughs> they are not. Bastards. I never trusted them. No. no. Especially yeah. seagulls, those bastards. Oh, I knew they were under something worse. I know. Yeah. Unbelievable. Gabe, yes. we've already been drinking. Will you enlighten already our listeners okay. on what we are have been drinking and are continuing to drink? So with, with Jim coming over, I was like, you know what? We need to bring out some... Heavy hitters. So tonight, because <laughs> yeah, uh, I want the good stuff, you want dude. The, yeah, <laughs> I was told on the email that we uh, needed to bring out some good stuff, so I did. So the first one that we started drinking with, because I wanted to make sure that we started off something soft, we went with the. Uh, it's al- not soft if you <laughs> chug it. <Yeah. laughs> I know you're over there, like, oh man, you got a second that tier. Fair enough. Uh, the first. Oh my, how much are we starting already on this thing? Um, the first one we started with was Elijah. Uh, I'm sorry, the E. H. Taylor uh, small batch. The E. H. Taylor small batch. I had never had E. H. Taylor before. No. Never even heard of it. Thoughts. So, so the first one we had was a small batch. Uh, they, they are both bottled in bond. The small batch is c- coming in right at a hundred proof. Um, so, the first one that we had, what did you guys think? I liked it. Yeah, that was good. Mm-hmm. Not too bad. Because this is the, the first one we have is E. H. Taylor's whiskey. It's the, the introductory bourbon into E. H. Taylor's whiskey lineup, which also includes the ongoing releases of single barrels, barrel proof, the rye variant. Uh, and then their one limited one-off release for the year. So those have been like uh, the warehouse uh, tornado. So they had a surviving wicked house right. okay. uh, for that year. A couple of years ago was the 18-year marriage. Uh, last year they did uh, the warehouse C. So those are just the one-offs that they do, and they're very different. Um, but this is a normal one that is released throughout the year. I'm going to interrupt you. I'm, yes, sir. I'm one of those stupid people that doesn't know. Go ahead. Help me out, dude. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between whiskey and rye? So it so whiskey a uh, bourbon bourbon I'm sorry bourbon's going to be uh, made of fifty one percent corn mm-hmm. and that's going to make up the majority of it. Where rye will have fifty one percent rye rye yeah yeah would be the the main thing being and the rest so, of the what they so call corn the versus rye is only exactly different. okay yeah. I'm sorry yep. I didn't know yeah and then Simple you have weeded so yeah. basically the three you're going to see are. The main ones you're going to see are weeded. So, like, your right. wellers are all weeded. Right. You're going to have your, your corn, and then you're going to have your rye. Now, even within your your corn bourbons, you can have in that other 49% different uh, percentages of... Uh, Wheat, barleys, rye. Yeah, rye. You can actually mix. put some rye in other bourbons, but you, they cannot hit 51% of the mash bill. And again, now, again, is rye like a seed? Like Yeah, like the, like the like? grain. Yeah. It does look like grain. Okay. Yeah, same yeah, but yeah, bread. like a little... Typically, what yeah. like black, but or, you're yeah, gonna get brown. more licorice spice to Makes those rice yeah. yeah. than than with the bourbons, where they're gonna be a little bit sweeter, especially within your your uh, uh, your weeded bourbons are really sweet uh, compared to like your other uh, corn bourbons, which are more like real to me like syrupy mm-hmm. molasses, yeah, um, you know, caramely, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so all does cream corn count? There's <laughs> jalapenos in it. That's it. Um, so uh, the E.H. Taylor whiskeys are bottled in bond. To be labeled bottled in bond, the whiskey must be a product of a one dist- distillation season from and one 
distiller at a single distillery aged in a federally bonded warehouse under U.S. government supervision for at least four years, and it must be bottled at exactly 100 proof. Additionally, the bottled bond label must clearly identify the distillery where it is distilled and where it is bottled if different. So they all come with cool little uh, yellow canisters. They all have, you know, that sticker on it of what's in there. Yeah, because that's the, that's like the market. That's or what, like, I recognize. Yeah. So this is that. So the difference with this one compared to our next one that we're, that we're also drinking, uh, it's just, you know, kind of different writings on it. So people will collect the canisters to show that they have it. Yeah, the bottles are cool, but the canisters here is what you want within the E.H. Taylor line. So our second one. So again, this one, what did you think? This, the small bag. The first Fairly one? easy, yeah. The first one, hundred, yeah. yeah, easy to drink, easy to drink. Um, the flavor's a little more muted, but maybe that's because I'm comparing it to this one now. And True. that's the thing. So yeah, now we're that. jumping from the our second whiskey that we're going to do a side by side on is the E. H. Taylor barrel proof, uncut, unfiltered, coming at a hundred and thirty proof. These all differ from year to year. I think this is the B12 or the B13. You can tell the differences by the uh, by the age. I'm sorry, by the, the proof. So each of the proofs are different. So um, that's how they call their vintages. So instead of like 2019 or whatever, they'll say. It'll be like 130, 129. Yeah, or, or B10, B13, B gotcha. whatever. Um, but uh, 130 proof, uh, 65.15% alcohol. When you drink this one, it is night and day. You really get that pop. Yeah, it is. It's hot, obviously, being around 130 proof. Yeah. However, the flavors that are coming through, man, this is crazy. Yeah. And it changes like three or four times. And this is why I like higher proof bourbons um, because I feel like you get a lot more pop. And this is why I don't like Blanton's, and I don't like right. some, anything under a hundred because you get you get that flavor bomb. Jim, what do you think? Absolutely, yeah. The second one way more than the first one. Same thing you were talking about the flavors and this, mm -hmm. but there's another aspect of it too that that it is just that classic taste. Yeah, and that's what you're if you're looking for that, you want to get the higher proof. That clearly has been taught. You guys made a trip to Specs. Did y'all find any goodies mm -hmm. after we went to eat? We did, we did, we yeah, did. Yeah, you guys want to talk about it? Go ahead, Jim. Well, that I'm always looking for Lagavulin 16. Mm -hmm. And basically a 16-year-old single malt scotch. I am one of those poor people he talked about that is okay with blended scotch whiskey, <laughs> which is. And to a, to a scotch drinker, that is just sacrilege. How dare you? You're an apostate. How dare you drink this thing? <laughs> and in particular, my Scottish friends would go on and on. Oh, bloody. You gotta have the single malt. <laughs> and so I would always try it and always try it. And just what you said, I think I'm tasting dirt. I mean, yeah. I know it's peat. But it just it you is taste dirt. that stuff. <laughs> it, it, yeah. it tastes like dirt. Yeah. 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 Well, dirt, dirt or, or band-aids in well, water over, yeah, Jack, left in the car. Jack Handy, <laughs> Deep Thoughts Jack Handy, said, you need to try my Lagavulin 16. It's a single malt. And for the first time, I tasted it, and I, dang, that's even better than my Jack Daniels. Or, I mean, better than, uh, than the Black Label. Yeah. And so that's when he said, well, here you go. Yeah. So then I started buying it, loving it, and all of a sudden couldn't find it. And so I started surfing the internet, couldn't find it. So today, we go into a liquor store, Specs, for what it's worth, and I walk over, nah, no log of one, 16, yeah. I knew. And Jim's but, standing there while I'm getting a hug by, you know, one of the workers there because I hadn't been there in a week. So, uh -huh. you know, well, they were missing me. And I sucked up a big time to him and told him all about how impressed I was with the service they provide for him. <laughs> well, then he goes around and said, what are you looking for? And I told him. And he goes, no, they got the log of one, eight. 
So I bought two of them thinking, well, eight plus eight equals 16. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> works. <laughs> so I got it. And that was also because I knew it was rare. And he pointed out, yeah, that the distributors stopped sending them. Yeah. And so there's a reason I can't find a Total Wine or any place in Houston or here or Santa Fe or any other cities I've gone to. And that's the reason why is the distributors stopped sending them. Really? So now when you go to a liquor store, you're looking for it, hoping they might have an old bottle. That's the best you can hope for. Are, you, are there any available online? None. Not a one. I have tried. And you know about that, right? It's really difficult to get alcohol shipped in, in Texas. Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it's in Texas already. Right. And then right, somebody told me, the people from Treaty Oak said, or if it's shipped to you from Florida or some kind of nonsense Yeah, like there's that. some weird and stuff like, out yeah, there. And, they, so they and have sometimes it doesn't even there. matter. Sometimes it's just like that other person just put it in UPS and it got shipped like, and made it through. No like one there's cared. this place in LA that will ship you pretty much anything. And right. it's like, okay. Because that's why wine, I can get that shipped to me, but yeah. I can't get yeah. scotch. And I've never quite understood that concept, mm. but never argued the point. You always said I could find it, and now suddenly I couldn't find it. And that, which you can't have, you want. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we do. Yeah. So he was pretty happy. I think it was, I think it was a win. It was. It was a win. We had a little and bit of time. And he recommended another one for me, and I bought that under what, the recommendation. What was the recommendation? Uh, Deanston. Deanston, that's Deanston. right. I've never heard Deanston. of it. Yeah. Which yeah. is nice. It's a nice, nice quality 12-year... Um, Scotch. Did you find fun. anything? Uh, I did. Did they, did they take you to the back room? And they did? Well, uh, they went to the back room. So Jim, yeah, they went to the back room for me. I did not go to the back room with them. Uh, but yeah, he, he, uh, he did nothing crazy. This is some, some, one of the new benchmark offerings. I know we had the top floor the other day. Uh, I think this was the bonded one. Uh, but yeah, you know, Jim saw it. I asked. But he, he comes out here with a trolley with, with four cases. <laughs> and I go, dude, you drink a lot of this stuff, huh? <laughs> I was like, that's how they're number one customer. <laughs> you gotta get it. Yeah. So no, it was it was good. They 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 took care of me like always, and and so I yeah I think we I think we got yeah. out of there pretty good. We did. Um, but I'm uh, very happy to finish off with the E.H. Taylor uh, barrel proof. It's it's made from Buffalo Trace mash bill number one that uses less uh, that uses. 10% or less rye as its secondary grain. This is the same mash bill that a number of the company's uh, bourbons use, most notably Buffalo Trace Bourbon, Stag Jr., and George T. Stag, which is my favorite. Um, although it doesn't feature an age statement, it is said to be about the same age as Buffalo Trace Bourbon. Uh, Stag Jr. is to believe, uh, believed to be in the range of 8 to 10 years, and of course George T. Stag is 12 years. It's just depending on the vintage um, I think the 2019 and even the last one was about like probably 15 and a half years uh, for the age. But you could you could get some of the profile from Stag and some of the profile from George T. Stag in this um, uh, barrel proof offering. Offering, but it is amazing that you can tell the difference. It, it's just from from a hundred proof to 130. The difference in not only a little bit of the burn, but more of the complexity and like more flavors. You, that get, it that you. Flavor. Yeah. you yeah. get that flavor. Yeah, it's pop. great. It's worth the extra cost. Yeah, if you can find it. This one is is considered not necessarily a unicorn, but it is hard to find. It usually only comes out once, maybe at max twice a year. Um, but uh, it is it's hard. The small batch is a little bit easier, but I say that. And if it comes out that day, it'll be sold out in an hour or less. Yeah, it's still tough wow. to find. Both of those, because like, I would like to buy a bottle of E.H. Taylor, but I've never yeah. been able to find yeah, it. The, yeah, the small batch just dropped this week. Uh, and again, within you know, within the, the day, uh, all stores were all gone. So, But the barrel proof, you have to be, usually be on the list or lucky or a, a raffle. That's how you're going to get that one. You will not see that bottle. Yeah, I've seen the rye for sale, but I'm not... 
Yeah. If you do see the the uh, the, the uh, barrel proof Adam Mom and Pop, and they happen to have it, you're likely not to see anything less than six hundred dollars for that bottle. Whoa. Yeah. Adam Mom and Pop. Dang. Yeah. MSRP on it's around sixty to seventy nine dollars. Small batch. A small batch is around thirty five. Okay. Uh, it's around 35 bucks, and that usually hits the shelf, but as soon as it's on the shelf, even at one only, there's usually not a lot that come in anyway, mm-hmm. so they're gone. And then, like I said, the barrel proof, or, uh, forget it. You know, that that's that's on the list of getting a, a, a stag junior, or a, st- uh, a George T. stag. Gotcha. Not the junior, but the, the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection. So, yeah, hope you enjoyed, Jim. Hope you enjoyed oh, it. I did, by all means. Um, but, I yeah. am, I should say. Yeah, and that, one's, that one, I think, is two years old, uh, so it's been breathing just a little bit so it's there is a not as harshness as a, as a mm. brand new bottle but you can tell the difference in the proof for sure yeah. yes oh yeah definitely cool so speaking of drinking you guys went to 1919 bar you want to give us a quick recap yeah we uh i whenever i met gabe our uh our wives joined us and we had a good night 1919 is like a little speakeasy kind of makeshift bar in uh Downtown San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Now, first time I ever went there, though, I, it's like a true speakeasy. It was tough to find. Like, there's no signs for it anywhere. You kind of have to stumble around until you find it. Yeah, um, yeah, it is. I mean, the first I time we went there, we're like, where, where? It's like it's. I'm, I have my GPS it's on. Here. It's right here. Where is it? Yeah, I walk around yeah. the whole time, and honestly, you can't find it yeah. until you learn. You're like, oh, there are people sitting down here in this weird little alley. Maybe it's down there. Yeah. And so you go to the alley. And it's like, am I going to get stabbed or am I going to find the place find I need a really cool bar? Yeah. And, uh, so once you find it. Yeah. So it's uh, the bar is huge. It's super long. Yeah. They have oh, every anything you could want, almost anything you could want. Uh, yeah. I mean, if there's something that you wanted to try that you knew you couldn't get. Outside of like the crazy thing, things like Pappy sort of, you know. You yeah. And they do have it when it's in season towards right. the end of the year. But they, don't, they can't have it year round. Yeah. So. Um, what uh, bring it full circle? What was the best drink that you guys tried while y'all were there? You had you recommended I try the Elijah Craig ten year no no t- Elijah Craig was it ten year ten year smoke no uh, Elijah Craig toasted barrel toasted barrel that's right which I thought we had on the show we did have maybe. I yeah, don't I'm remember sure we had because there was there was a barrel proof. I know you guys had the barrel proof, but I didn't know if we had the toasted barrel on it. So that was your favorite. It was very good. And then the other, I got a Manhattan. Yeah. And nothing crazy. I mean, it was uh, what like maybe fourteen bucks for almost a two. Yeah. Me before. and you both walked out under thirty bucks. Yeah. And yes. I mean, like that's the thing. Every time I go there, I'm like, oh, these aren't that bad. I tried the Russell Reserve thirteen year, which has been absolutely horrible to find, and that dropped for the first time, I believe, last year or maybe a year and a half ago. And it has been tough. I have I have yet to see a bottle or been called for a bottle or whatever. And what'd you think of it? <laughs> Sad. Sad. Sad because I really wanted it, and I and I, and I yeah, it was very good. But I, I don't know if I would want to waste time trying to really track one down. Mm. So I don't know if I get called for one. Oh yeah, I'll take it. But. Man, I, I don't know. Um, but that that one was maybe seventeen bucks for me, seventeen bucks for a one ounce pour. Um, I'm glad I tried it. I'm glad I ripped the band aid. But I love their uh, their uh, what did they have the uh, whiskey, whiskey sour, sour. R- legit perfect old school whiskey sour with the egg and the frothiness, and it is just delicious. Mm. 
absolutely amazing nice. whiskey sour that they have over there. Uh, girls just hung out, drink water, chilled, talked yeah. away. Two hens clucking away. So we got to talk about <laughs> bourbons. It was great. We got what do you think we're doing here, Gabe? Well, but, but <laughs> our well, wives got to be involved. Our roosters clucking. Yeah. Okay. We got to bring the wives yeah. to be like, hey, I invited you and I took you to a nice place. And then they got to talk again. Of course, yeah. all right, great. We get to, yeah. We get yeah. to yeah, stay so here. It was, and, yeah. and it was a good time. Nice. Yeah. So I went to, I did the Alamo Fly Fishers one fly tournament. Yeah. How was that? Come to find out it's not a one fly. It's Wait. still called the one fly. Yeah. But you can use more than one fly? You can use whatever you want. Wait, all day long, you can switch it up? Yeah. It's What's just the point? <laughs> I thought that was the point. Thank well, you very yeah, much. Exactly. What is the <laughs> Thank point? you very much. I mean, so, like, they kind of lost it when you had to go from one fly to one pattern, and now it's any fly is all day long? Bud pretty rolling in his grave, right. thinking, like, yeah. what are these guys' nonsense? Is it even a tournament? So I mean, the like, thing okay, is, I did the tournament they on get Saturday, a, too, then. They get a lot. <laughs> I, I, asked, I asked them about that, and they get, they get a lot of newbies out there and a lot of people that have been disappointed in the fat past that they're paying to enter a tournament. What's the call? What's the intercost? Don't suck. 35 bucks. Don't be terrible at it. Five bucks. It gets you dinner too. And people are complaining. And it gets you dinner? Yeah. And it's people like, are complaining? why is it my fault that you, that you stink or that right. you need to learn to tie a better fly? I'm back to the point. Is the, is the title misleading? That's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's a, no, just it can't use Bud Purdy anymore though. Gotta call something I'm else. angry. Yeah, <laughs> don't yeah. call it a one fly. I wasn't even there. I didn't waste my time on that. Okay, guys, here's the thing. We're gonna call it a one fly, but it's one fly. Whatever you have on, no tandem rigs. Yeah, there you exactly. go. Exactly. One fly at right any now, given time. Right now, next year though, hey, three, four, or float your boat. Oh my god. Yeah. So anyway, I uh, half participated. So the wife and I took our camper trailer. Yeah, first time you guys really for the took it out. first real trip. The yeah. last time was like a test trip. We were kind of like at the in laws all day, and then would sleep out there. This was like our first camping trip. We did Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Got out there Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Came home on Sunday. We learned a great lesson about packing. Uh, we like packed food ish, and then we had looked up in Camp Wood on Google to make sure there's a grocery store, which is right down the road. Well, there's no grocery store in Camp Wood. Oh. So we learned the hard way that we had to, I had to drive on Thursday an hour back to Uvalde <sighs> to go to the grocery store to get food. So that was a real... Real mistake. Real pain. Um, we walked into the grocery store, and it was actually a restaurant. They're like, oh, yeah, like two businesses ago, this was a grocery store. And we're like, y'all haven't updated Google? We're like... We're, right. in camp, we're in camp people Wood. come in we're in camp <laughs> Wood. they're coming in anyway yeah we're we're a restaurant and i'm like but they're like yeah it used to be a restaurant I'm like y'all don't like advertise yeah and they, there was people in there eating dinner they probably didn't check google no no they just they just knew they about just, it they just knew about <laughs> it just knew. so i had to like drive back to uvalde and pick up food um <clears throat> i got that blackstone griddle Oh, nice. Those things are fantastic. Awesome. Those things are really yeah. cool. Yeah. I like grilled steaks, uh, cooked breakfast on it every morning, uh, cooked on it all weekend. It was fantastic. Uh, multiple people had recommended Blackstone griddles for camping. It was awesome. You can pretty much cook whatever you want on it. It came out great. I did steaks, breakfast, uh, all kinds of good stuff. And then we, I fished in the tournament, but honestly, work has been so sure. insane. I was just like... It's just nice to be out here. I'm not going to wake up at the crack of dawn to go fish all day hard. So I woke up when I wanted to woke up. I went to the, I made breakfast, made a nice breakfast, sat around. Then me, McKenna, and Gimli, our dog, went to the river. And, uh, you know, um, I fished for a little bit. And then Gimli would be like on the shore 
literally shaking like this, like, Dad, Dad, you got to let me off the leash. You got to let me off the leash and throw the ball in the water. And he'd do that, and I'd be like, okay, fine. So I'd put my rod away, and I'd throw the ball for him and wear him out, and he'd go lay on the bank, and then I'd go fish some more. And then we, we did that show and dance for a couple hours, and uh, we just had a great time. I caught a couple fish, nothing crazy. Although uh, there was a guy that I was talking to who was conventional fishing right next to me, and uh, he caught a, like, three- or four-pounder out of the Nueces. Did he win? Uh, he was not in the tournament. He was fishing con- conventional. Uh, Did you but take it and take a picture? Won. Did you take a picture with this oh, yeah. fish? Hey, let Here's me get, 10 bucks. <laughs> let me get a measurement real quick and uh, snap yeah, a photo of exactly. this. exactly. No, but that was definitely like a win- that would have won the tournament uh, bass. It was it was a real nice fish. But I caught a couple bass, a couple panfish. The uh, guy who won most fish caught, was the number was 125 this year. Whoa. That's that's light. Yeah, when they're normally Wait, like one day. Two. One day. Yeah, because some, some yeah, of that's them. A, that's a fish every 10 minutes, dude. Yeah. Right? Less than 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but also it's uh, it's on the honor system. Yeah. I've heard no, some higher numbers than that. No, there have been higher numbers. And I personally fished with a guy who was a couple of years ago who was fishing for most fish, and I was fishing for biggest bass or right, biggest yeah. panfish. And uh, he legitimately caught like, it was like 180. Wow. And he legitimately caught 180. What these guys are doing, they're fishing like size 20, like nymphs yep. of some kind, and they're picking these holes out where there's 30 panfish about this big in a hole and they're picking them out of the hole and then they're walking to the next one. They're picking them out of the hole. And so they're like you said, I mean, that's a fish every 10 minutes, but these guys are catching a fish every minute. Yeah. yeah. I have to. Yeah. That kind of numbers. Yeah. That's why I say yeah. they have yeah. the golf counter. Um, some guys, uh, either tallied or they have the counter on their phone. Oh, I think, oh yeah. Good I idea. Yeah. The phone. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. There's counters on your phone now. Um, and then the biggest bass was 16 inches. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, nice, decent fish. Three pound? Uh, I don't know how much it weighed. I never saw a picture of it. But uh, biggest was 16 inches. And then um, largest panfish was like seven or eight inches. Nice. So my largest bass was 10 inches. On one fly at any given time. One fly. I fished a game changer for like... Nice. Three of the four hours I fished, and I didn't catch a single fish. I fished it hard. You going for that big boy? I was going for that big bass. That that guy right next to me caught on a Texas rig. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Um, But, man, it was fun, and we just went out there, camped, had a good time. Uh, Also, Saturday, the day of the tournament, was a scorcher. It was like 100 degrees that day. And even at 8 p.m., it was 100 degrees. We're like. The morning was nice. I was like, I'm, I'm yeah, going morning to the trailer. Was yeah, morning was perfect. Yeah. It was like 70 and yeah. windy that yeah. morning. Friday was, nice. was a nice day. Uh, but yeah. um, TU's already asked people to stop fishing the quad. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure. Because yeah, what, today was 168 for the water temperature, though, and that's why I said it's getting up there. Yeah. 68's right at that edge, right? Yeah. I think. you catch a fish, but uh, bass, they're doing fine. Yeah. 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 And the tournament had a really low turnout. I think there were like 16 people. So, and they've had. A lot more than that. Mm. 40, 50, 60 people. Really? It's, I, I talked to uh, the new president. His name is Carson. He, uh, uh, he was there, and I was talking. I never met him before. He joined kind of after COVID, and they kind of like threw him into the president role. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, he was saying there, there's a lot of older guys, and they're still mm-hmm. health, have health issues and are concerned about COVID. And they shut down for a year and a half, basically, and weren't doing anything. So they're trying to... Get the ball back rolling. 
Now I've so. blown off COVID, and yet I just heard the news today of talking about New York. Just it's exploding. Is it? Yeah. It's like three times the number of cases than there was ninety days ago. It's like weird. That's great. And, but it's like a, the way the newscaster said because everyone I know has had it. And I gotta yeah. admit, I have heard of a lot of people getting it. It's just not bad anymore. But they're all getting COVID. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I went through here. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that was my trip, boys. Nice. Um, did they say Camp, what camper was great? What what fly he was using for the most or no? Did they, yeah. I I wasn't really hundred percent. It doesn't matter. Committed. It's not one anymore. What were you using? It's not one. Let's protest. I fished year. a game changer most of the day, okay. and then I fished a uh, a uh, I fished a, a frog popper that I tied up. Oh no, kidding! Oh, I love and those. And then I fished. Didn't catch anything on that. Oh, that's fun. And then I fished a swamp monster, which is my tried and true bread and butter. And I caught all of my fish on the swamp monster. I don't know why I just don't stop, start with a swamp monster every time I go And when you catch enough fish, then put on something fun. Yeah. And then uh, I ended with a pink brunch money off Zach's recommendation. And then I lost it in a tree. And then I retired it? for the day because it was about 30 minutes away from what I needed to end anyway. You didn't go get it? No, it was under a log jam. How many, like, more, how, how many more do you have? <laughs> oh, I have like five or six more. Oh. I have one more. Yeah, one more. That's it. <laughs> yeah, you I have swam one for more it. of my favorite fly. <laughs> That's the one fly you yep. should do because you're going to be. He mentioned that at dinner. I'm talking actually. about yeah. dinner. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah no. I said, I just saw the video for 16 yeah. seconds yep. or whatever. Yep. Yeah. yeah. The second I Because I thought that was lower quad, and they said, no, you were in the upper quad. Yeah, upper yeah. quad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I remember when it happened because I was like, just give me your bag. Like, you can't yeah. leave that there. If that's right. your last one, like, you're yeah. getting it. Oh, yeah. My favorite is my go to fly. Zach, I have an idea for you now after. Landon's one fly experience. I think we need to make a Magna sticker that says "Make the bud, make the bud pretty." One fly again. <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, that. I, I love that. I yes. Make the bud. That make the bud pretty. One fly some, again. Yeah, that would get around. Yeah. Uh, so, are there any rules, or can I go out using gulp next year? I mean, that's no, what it sounds to, like. You have to use a fly. Oh, okay, well, if I dip tie it, it to a hook, just dip it. I don't know, Zach. If you want to like be the rules police, then I don't. Go, go I mean, be, obviously there are no rules anymore. <laughs> exactly. Every year they just get more lax. There's <laughs> not even a one fly anymore. Exactly. Well, it's a one fly. I'm gonna get some tannerite or whatever it's called a, next year. Ooh, nice. I, <laughs> treble hook and just drag it through. See whatever happens. I heard a bit. Uh, some guys there were talking about a tournament where it's a one fly, but everyone fishes the same fly. That's fair. That'd be fun. That's and an interesting idea. Because then it's like you really got to get creative and wow. you really have to use your angling you're all on the same plane. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I like that. They, they provide the fly. And yeah. I was like, Ooh. I like that. I think that should be our tournament. It's just yeah. like we put a bunch of fly names in a hat and then we pull it. That, and the we day sit. of. Like we have well, like, we need at least, at least 24 hours in advance so, so that can, people can tie them. Or buy them or whatever. Yeah. We need to provide them the identical exact fly. Oh, oh, oh yeah. there, there you go. And we, we could, as part and of the entry fee is the fly. Hey, yeah. we, and we could just do like a ten dollar entry fee. We don't need to give them dinner. <laughs> That's right, Zach. It's <laughs> preach, brother. It's a, well, it's a ten. It's a ten dollar entry. Zach's good. Yeah. Yeah. Zach, it's, like, it's a ten dollar entry, but you get a four dollar <laughs> gift certificate. Degree somewhere. of marketing. <laughs> yeah. Four dollars off at Dairy Queen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a, a free Dairy Queen ice cream oh, cone. Man. Yeah. My students give me enough Whataburger coupons every day. Man, we can just hand those guys out. Yeah, I was just saying, you're a yeah. teacher. You can ask Whataburger, and they'll exactly. give you a little stack of free br- uh, exactly. breakfast burritos. Nobody ever uses them, but hey, it's something. Breakfast 
Taquitos. You get right. a Trexas Taquito, and oh. <laughs> we can say you get breakfast, and then just give them the, the little um, coupon. Imagine you get breakfast. <laughs> you get breakfast tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, imagine us saying that we provide dinner, and then we hand them a Whataburger coupon yeah. for like a Whataburger. Exactly. Oh, you got to go get it yourself. We yeah. provided yeah. dinner. Well, technically we did. Yeah. So. <laughs> and they only start serving it after 11 p.m., but, but it, yeah. you, have it. It. you can still go get it. Yeah. Whatever you want. Oh, my gosh. All right, Zach, tell us about the lunar eclipse. Oh, okay, lunar eclipse. So, guys, it's great. Being a science teacher, uh, we had our uh, super flower blood moon lunar eclipse this past week. Will you break that down as if you broke it down for your students? Yes. Yeah, so super means that, as you guys know, the moon orbits the Earth. Uh, whenever it is closest to the Earth in its path, in its path it is called a supermoon. Right, so supermoons happen every now and then. Um, now it is also called the May moon because, as we know, April showers bring flowers. flowers. May flowers, oh, right? Okay. So it is the <laughs> is the month of May. So it's the flower moon, and it is called the blood moon because it was red, red, red. exactly. That's Unless good. you're colorblind, then red. I don't know what color you saw. Yeah, then it's it's gray. So <laughs> <laughs> nothing's different. <laughs> nothing's different. <laughs> it's maybe a little bit darker. Uh, so no, it was really cool. So what happens is. Um, for a <laughs> the couple gun hours, metal, the yeah. gun metal moon. So, as you guys know, the moon enters the shadow of the Earth um, that is caused by the sun. But on a lunar eclipse, the moon perfectly falls into the uh, like the center of the the shadow in such a way where the light that is bouncing around uh, the Earth curves and hits the moon, causing that red blood moon effect. Right. Um, now the way that happens is we have red and blue light, right? Blue light, shorter waves. It doesn't bend as far as red light. So when that sun hits our atmosphere on along the edges of our planet, it goes through our atmosphere, getting diffused and dispersed through all of our dust and particles that's in the atmosphere, sending those red light waves inwards and towards the moon, giving us the blood moon. It's pretty cool. If you didn't watch it, it was really exciting. It happened. It started around 9, 15, 9, 30. And then around 10, 30, the dark shadow started to slowly turn more red until 11, 15, when it became a completely red moon. And so. Jim, what time did you get to watch it? One o'clock. <laughs> so did you see the yeah. it? For those of you listening, this is kind of a sad story. <laughs> I was going to go. I really wanted to see it. It's like, you know, I got a good camera. I got this new mirrorless camera. I'm real proud of it. I'm going to take the whole, the whole thing from the whole arch, right, from the beginning yep. to the end. Yep. And so I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm kind of a little tired. Let me just kind of close my eyes for a minute. Woke up at 1.15. <laughs> Ran outside. <laughs> yeah, I was too late. <laughs> I saw the full moon. <laughs> so, I mean, for all of you listening, I got two out of the three. You, know? so you got a I got super a, May I got moon. a super May. I just missed out on the whole blood thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. What's well, an eclipse without the eclipse? You know, That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just if you see not the, the same. If you see the credits of a movie, did you see the movie? I know. I don't know. Well, so I immediately go to the internet the next day going, what did it look like? You know? <laughs> yeah, okay. That's what I saw too, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, no, so it was cool. The next one happens in November. Sorry, Jim. I didn't mean to rip off that Band-Aid. No, no. It's really interesting because I, one of the things I found on the internet was somebody who did that with a camera. Uh-huh. And they took it like every 15 minutes. Yeah, I got a little time lapse And that's perfect. That time lapse really shows you that whole... Haven't you ever seen that, that yeah. Alaska sunrise kind of thing and how yeah. that goes over? Well, they see the same thing with the eclipse and it shows just what you described. Yeah. And so when you then described it, now I can understand every one of those photos. 
And all due respect, science teacher, that was a great explanation Thank about the you. light diffusion. I've never heard that before. Yeah, you know, my kids aren't so sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I got to tell you. Hey. 65 years old, I've learned something new. There you go. Well, right? uh, well thank you. Thank old you. dogs can learn new things. <laughs> they, they definitely can. Uh, so, yeah. So You also went fishing on Saturday. I did, Ooh. yeah. Me and uh, the other science, sixth, sixth grade science teacher at my school. Uh, we went fishing a couple months ago, and then uh, he bought a new rod and, uh, and reel, and so he wanted to go try it out. A new uh, TFO Black, was it the Black Next? Black mm. NXT? I've never so, cast a TFO. They're good. Oh, I cast his, and his it was a combo, and yeah. it cast really well. Nice. A little five weight. Yeah. Oh, man, I enjoy it. I was like, this is nice. Um, so uh, we went out. We caught a ton of bass. Uh, let's see. Bass, panfish, nothing else. Upper quad. Upper quad. Um, Did you sneak on to Gabe's secret prop, private property? We didn't, spot no, burning, spot burning, alert. <laughs> <laughs> He's got cameras out there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I went a little bit further up. Um, but it, it's, you know, bittersweet. The flows are low, but I was low. able to wade to a port part. I'm not usually able to because nice. it gets so deep that I would have to swim to the next section. And so I just kind of waded along the edge right to it. And, uh, so I was able to, uh, fish a little run. I normally don't. And I was it a, worth it? I caught four fish there. Nice. And the best part is, uh, I was with, uh, this other guy and, um, I kid you not. We're fishing together every single time. We were, we were fishing right next to each other, right? He would catch a rock, and I would pull up a fish. Oh. I've knocked three times in a row. He caught a rock. I'd pull up a fish. Like, the, he actually pulled the rock up? Yes. Like, I have it on my GoPro. He would go tight, right? And he'd be like, oh. And he'd be like, oh, it's a rock. And literally, I'd be like, oh, fish on. Like, three, three times in a row. So I caught a panfish, then I caught a guad, and then it happened again. I caught another guad. I told him, I was like, man, you just need to stay hooked into rocks because I'm catching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's probably knocking out a bunch of, like, uh, like uh, you know, aquatic insects out of yeah, all those exactly. rocks. Exactly. You were just, like, putting it right in the right spot. Oh, man. Well, no, I was upstream. So. Oh, even better. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, no, so we had a great day. Uh, caught my probably smallest Guadalupe bass, so that was exciting. Um Talk about record, yeah. We always talk about big fish. Let's, uh, yeah, yeah, let's brag on the small ones. Future hey, state you know records. What? Hey, you know, you gotta hit records, yeah, right? Future state records, largest and smallest. Both of them are bookends. So, you know, uh, yeah, he's probably as wide as my hand, if even that wide. I would have got you second place at the Blood Purdy. I know eight Dang. fly tournament. Man, maybe they, <laughs> you know what? There's, I'm gonna make my own category next. Just walk up, and be like, hey, I got the smallest fish award. Yeah, you know, there you go. Where's my trophy? That would be a fun <laughs> award. <laughs> It's already done. We, we could do we could do that micro fishing that we watched that video of that guy <laughs> who puts on a snorkel and goes out with like this micro rod and catches fish that are like this. You know big. what? I want to hate on that guy, but he's doing what he loves. He's going out and catching pretty fish, even if they're the size of a dime. Fair enough. You gotta Yolo. say that. You all know what I'm talking about. You go to this little tiny creek, a brook, let's say, and you're catching six to eight inch and you're fine with it. Yep. But then you're on the Colorado River in Colorado, and if it's anything under 15 inches, you're disappointed. Yeah. No, it's all relative to where you are. And I'm perfectly okay with small fish because I got to admit, I've had great fun catching small fish too. And for all those little fly fishing fishers that for the first time went out and went after a little tiny, you know, just panfish, good for you. Because they work, right? Use a little grub pattern or whatever. Hey, you can catch a lot of fish and have a lot of fun. You want to take a kid out fishing? Don't go after a five-pound you know, five bass. Go after some crappie. Oh, You're yeah. going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, some yeah. panfish. Yeah. And I'm, I'm that way. I, 
I don't bemoan the fact anymore that people caught small fish. Ah. I love fishing is fishing. fishing. Yeah. No, but okay. But micro fishing guy. This is, this is a different. Not, I gotta admit, micro is a new thing for me. This I'm is not a different. This is yes. the Texas Parks and Wildlife. Okay, for anyone, I don't, I don't remember what it's called, but there's a Texas. It's called micro fishing. It's called micro. It fishing. is. I've never even actually heard the term. Yeah. So guy, like they put on a wetsuit. It's not fly fishing. It's not fly yeah. fishing. They put on a wetsuit and like shoot in the quad, and they're literally just like they're in, lay, like, like lay. full body in the water, snorkel. Mask everything, and like, and they have like, a rod that's about this long with yep. a weight and a micro bait attached to it, and probably a size thirty hook. Yeah, yeah, have to be. Yeah, yeah. and it is very interesting. But we've all caught small fish on a big fly, right? I've caught. Oh, yeah, I've caught fish were oh yeah the same size as the fly. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. why the one thing about it's amazing how they hook themselves. Yeah, well, like, they're yeah. just also they're just so damn aggressive. Sure. Yeah, right. Yeah, they just they really are. You do, we don't realize how much in the water. How much some, is actually happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, Gabe, you helped with a Orvis. You volunteered yeah. for Orvis uh, yeah. Fly Fishing Corps. Uh, shout class. out to uh, to Josh and and Joe. Um, there's supposed to be a couple extra guys, but uh, don't know what happened that morning. I know there was there was one Where, for sure. Did y'all do Diego's? No, we did uh, Guadalupe River State Park, and okay. we got out there early. Well, first you said yeah. you called it 201. So you described to me what is 201. Orvis has a free. Okay, I'll yeah, run go through ahead. it because I am there. a there professional. Dude, professional. Yeah. Yeah. I've taught. Yeah. Well, you got an Orvis shirt on, so that makes you a professional. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> gosh, I think I added up like how many people I put through these classes, and it yeah. is an absurd number. A number. Uh, so uh, Orvis does a free fly fishing 101 course where you can go to the store. It's uh, two hours, and they will give you the raw basics of what you need to do. You could go out after that class and catch a fish. It's two hours. It's like, here's two knots. Here's how you put your rod together. Here's 45 minutes of casting instruction. They cast out, depending on the store, you know, your situation may be different. We cast out in the parking lot to put Velcro flies on to fish with Velcro in them. So you could go out and you could cast at the fish and there would be instructors out there helping you learn how to cast um, and do that. So at the end of two hours, if you were to go out that afternoon, you would have the bare basic knowledge to go out and catch a fish. I got a fish off that learn. I thought lesson. Oh. Yeah, because you we so we met at Orvis. Yeah, you came in. We'll recap the story real quick. Zach came in the store. He's like, "Hey, I know." I was like, "Hey, I know you." Yeah, because I went fishing in the Smokies, and I was like, "Oh man, I'm into this." And I was like, "I think a guy in Newman College is now the fishing manager at Orvis in San Antonio." And yeah, and then you walked in, and I was like, hey, I know you from somewhere. Yeah. And, then, and we briefly knew each other in college because yeah. we were pledging the same fraternity. Yep. And, that being? Uh, beta Upsilon Chi. Okay. Oh, Sigma Kappa. Kappa Sigma. Oh. And uh, Zach dropped out mm-hmm. uh, partially way through, but we knew each other for like a brief instance uh, throughout that process. And then Zach comes in the store. I was like, hey, I know you from somewhere. And then we like reconnected, and now we're doing a podcast together. Yeah, hey. That's how it goes. <laughs> so that's how it goes. Um. And if you and, all want to know more about that, you can go to a previous podcast and they yeah. talk about yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> so, Zach. Please check our website. Yeah. <laughs> so, Zach, you took the one-on-one class, and then what, did you go out the same afternoon and go catch some fish? Yeah. yeah. I caught two fish. So, proven it can be done. So, uh, the 201 is built off of the one-on-one class where if you want to uh, go out on the water, all equipment is provided, so you don't even have to make a purchase. We will take you out to the water and help you catch fish and include all the equipment necessary to do so. And so that's what Gabe volunteered yeah. with. It is a couple hours um, max, yeah. maybe like two or like, three hours. We did like two and a half, yeah. Yeah. 
So it's it's not super long, but we actually get you on the water and we walk you through stuff on the water yeah. and help you catch fish. And so that's a two one. Then there's a three oh one class that is built off of that. If you want to take it, if there's an Orvis store in your area, these are great courses yeah, no to idea. get you to get you going. Yeah. They're free, um, except for the three oh one. Uh, you have to bring your own equipment. Um, but the one oh one and two oh one you can take without ever making an investment into fly fishing. You can see if you like it. Some people take the class, they're like, Thanks for teaching the class. This isn't for me. But I really appreciate your time and everything. Uh, Other people are like, hey, you know, I've been wanting to do this for a while. This was a great introduction for me. This is great, you know, and that kind of gets the ball rolling for them. And so, uh, yeah, we went out there. The the gentleman I was with, he had his own rod. He was excited. It looked like it was pretty brand new. Uh, You know, we started first doing some just some some nymph fishing because he was on his way to Wyoming. Just wanted to, you know. Kind of just start off with okay, let's work a piece of river, and then we'll we'll work. Let's get on the board with a fish, and then let's work our way up through some heavier stuff and see the differences in casting between you know some heavier nymphs than maybe some lighter poppers and whatever. So uh, we got out there. Uh, he he did get into some fish. It was just a tough day. That stretch of river um, is low. And there's not a lot of flow right now, mm-hmm. and it was hot, but. Man, like within 30 minutes of being out there, it was such a perfect day to go out that everybody and their mom was showing up. By 10 o'clock, that place was packed. Tube hatch started. Yeah, and so, you know, we're trying to work our way downriver, and then there's kayakers, and there's all this stuff going on. And I've always known that stretch of the Guad at the state park to be pretty, pretty tough for the amount of pressure that's in that stretch yeah um and there's only been a handful of times we're just slayed fish and it was usually like on a weekday afternoon or morning where like no one's on there and there's some great fish to be had but uh you know it was he he learned a lot you know showed him a lot of different things we we worked through a bunch of flies uh in casting um you know like i said he got into some fish you know he was excited about it i just wish it was just a better day especially after that saturday that we had uh killed you know, it yeah we're just killer where it's like i know what this should be working this should he was casting in the right spots he was putting them in the right spots yeah we lost some flies well lost some of my flies but <laughs> <laughs> it's easier to lose someone else's flies but he was putting there there just shouldn't have been a reason why he Shouldn't have been rewarded more for some of the places that he was really. Did he catch any fish? Yeah, he did, but it was just kind of like. Which well, that's good because like a lot of tool ones, there's no fish to be caught. Yeah, and some people, I mean, if they catch one fish, they're super pumped. Yeah, if they've never. No, he was he was excited, and he missed a couple too that I saw that you could see where the fish hit it, and he just wasn't used to the set yet. Yeah. Um, But again, not you know for the amount of time I've done with casting recovery, for the amount of time I've done with real recovery, you know it was easy to say okay, put get get yourself in this spot, get yourself in that spot. You know you're casting there. Okay, well let's see if we can get a little bit closer because you know you're still working on your power stroke. Um, It's it was all good. It was a fun afternoon. My sister joined me because the plan was is that I was going to fish there in the morning, and then when we were done with that, she wanted to learn how to how to uh, how to fly fish as well. We've always been talking about it, so. She had, uh, you know, a little little weekend, some free from work. So I'm like, hey, come, you know, going with me. So we did, you know, a sibling trip. Uh, but by the time that was done, it was already 100 degrees. It was super hot. There was just so busy everywhere. Uh, so we said, you know, let's just go to lunch. And so the gentleman that we fished with lived in the area. I asked him, and he recommended uh, Antler Cafe, which is just on the other side of 281. I know that. Fantastic. Probably one of the top uh, one of the top chicken fried steaks mm-hmm. I have had. The only downside is that their mac and cheese is only a, a jalapeno mac and cheese. And I think the jalapeno mac and cheese was good, 
but it would have been fantastic without uh, the um, the the jalapenos in it. But man, that that chicken fried steak. So of course she passes out on the drive home, and I'm like trying to stay awake, just in a food coma. Yeah. Uh, but the beers were cold, uh, and and the chicken fried steak was fantastic. And I we had the small one. We had the, there's a small and a, and a large, and a large is pretty. It's pretty. How's your plate? Look, I got to yeah. say right now. If you go fishing and you don't catch anything and you had a bad time and you don't like it, fishing's not for you. Yeah. 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 If getting skunked is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because we all talk about these great trips that we had, but come on, guys. We've all been skunked. Yes. And that's yeah. why more than one time I've gone to an editor with a, with a story and he goes, but you didn't catch any fish. I go, no. Yeah. He goes, no. Nobody wants to read about not catching fish. But I go, we all have done it. And <laughs> bringing, <laughs> b- looping back around to Steve, Steve does such a great job about writing stories where he doesn't catch fish uh-huh. and highlighting why that is part of the human experience. And in as fly fishing. fishers, we all relate to it, don't yeah. we? We, we all, all know. know. I know just what you're talking about, Steve. Yeah, that's why I think it's a great thing, a great point to make. Yeah. And the point to be made to the guy in your 201 class, and that is, Dude, I know it's frustrating. I wanted you to catch one too, and reality is, you saw something. Yeah. But hey, this yeah, we, is all we, part of fishing. We got we got into a couple. I wish it was more. There shouldn't have been a reason why for where you were casting. You shouldn't have been rewarded, but we got you more confidence to cast under some trees. To you know, really just don't <clears> worry <throat> about it if you're going to lose. It's going to happen. Um, but it was fun. He came out, he came out excited, the, and I hope he tells Josh he came out excited. But, uh, again, kudos to Josh and, and, and the guys over there for, for doing that. And I think it's a great opportunity. If you to don't get, get hung in. up, in my mind, you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. yeah. yeah you got to be really casting to the shore. you got to be really casting toward that tree. And guess what's going to happen sometimes? You're going to catch it. Yeah. And Josh is the fishing manager over there at the store now. So if you guys want to take a class, go over to the shop or give him a call and get signed up for one of them. Because they're – I mean, they're yeah. just they're just great classes. So that's a great point for everyone listening to this about any Orvis store. I had no idea they did the one on one. Every store does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's why, yeah, they that more people need to know that about that, especially the newbies. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And Sam was over there that day, so I made fun of him too. So we got to, <laughs> oh, good. We got to talk about uh, Sam the old the uh, the yeah. good old shout out uh, Sam. Um, Japanese tea gardens. Yeah, and you guys and, remember that episode? Sam was our guest. I. Sam worked with me at Orvis when we were both over there together, and he has a we have a great podcast episode where he fished the Japanese tea gardens, and it is worth every second <laughs> of listening because it is fantastic. Yeah, no, but it was a, it was a good day. It was a really good Sunday. So. Good, yeah, and good for you for taking people out like that because that makes a difference. And the one thing I push more than more in that is we need to get more people on the water and get more anglers out there because one thing I've learned all too well is once you get into fishing, you start thinking about conservation. No, that's a good point. Um, so let's move on to Jim. You fished with Alvin a couple weeks ago. You wanted to I talk did. about that? I had a great trip. If those of you don't know, Alvin Dido, one of my favorite guides, in fact, the favorite guide in the entire world. He just has all of it going for him. He has all the right attitude, all the right things going on, and he's very successful. And for those of you who don't know, he got sponsored by Yeti, and so it just took off. And so now he's one of the most well-known fly fishers. And the one thing that is unique about him, and I'm going to point out, he's black. And guess what, guys? Most fly fishers look like us, and that's the problem. I have a black grandson and adopted by my daughter, and, hey, we need to get more people that look like Alvin and more Hispanics on the water Mm -hmm. because there are. There's just a lot of Caucasians out there, and we need to get more people. Well, Alvin is proof of that, and so I pointed that out to him, and I wanted him to get on 
bored with me on that very fact. And he said, well, what about the guy in Oregon? I go, you named the other one. And that's Soul River, if you know who I'm talking about. And he does something along those same lines. That's Alvin. But so he takes us out. And so what happens is I bring down a friend from Minnesota. And he flies all the way down from Minneapolis. And he flies down to Austin. And I drive up from Houston. Well, little did we know, the night before, a storm hit Round Rock and had all these tornadoes and all this kind of problem and water coming down. Well, as you know all too well, when there's a lot of water, what happens to the river? It was high. And so Alvin said, we're not going to go fishing. I go, uh, dude, not an option. I drove all the way up from Houston. <laughs> I've got a VRBO that I've already paid for. This guy flew in all the way from Minneapolis. We're going fishing. So Alvin said, all right, I'll take you out to Bastrop. And so he we went out to Bastrop Lake, and I caught a few bass out there. And that was fun, fishing the lake with Alvin and stuff like that, but just a half day. And then the second half day, now the water is down a little bit. We went back out on the river, and I only caught one. And so it was a very slow day, but it was fishing with Alvin. And that's my point. It was a great time. And that my friend Dick Rosenberg talked about it significantly, how the difference is with a good guide and how much fun you can have. Yeah. And in particular, someone like Alvin, who really appreciates it and knows that water. And then what was kind of fun was being around that area right where the Tesla plant was being built. Mm-hmm. And so we're starting to learn kind of the history of this water. And partly the reason there's trash there is because when every time it rains, as it did just the night before, right? Mm-hmm. All that trash comes down out of Austin. And next thing you know, it's in the river. And that's why Alvin does that cleanup every year. Yeah, the Moco. Yeah, exactly. Trash bash. Yeah. But I can tell you that I, I fish with Alvin at least once a year. I always make a point of it. I did when he was with uh, Vale Valley Anglers. I don't know if you know, he worked there up in Colorado. Yep. Yeah, he told us that. Yeah, the very first time I ever fished with him was on the quad, right? I fished with him and JT Van Zant, And uh, my son got to get in the boat with JT. He's into music. He talked about Tans Van Zant. Next thing you know, off they go having the time of their life. Uh-huh. And that's when I knew Alvin is my favorite guide. And it hasn't changed. He's gotten older, wiser, a little more mellow in his years. If you know anything about Bad Mother Goose, I think you guys <laughs> yeah. all do know. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. calmed down a bit since Bad Mother Goose <laughs> and doesn't use the four-word expletives as he used to. <laughs> but the biggest thing I would describe in Alvin, and, and you all know what I'm talking about. I'm going to turn my head from you. And now as I turn my head, can you tell I'm talking to you with a smile on my face? You see what I'm talking about? (laughs) That's Alvin. When you're talking to him, you can tell he's talking to you with a smile on his face. There are a few people that are having as much fun at the same time as you, as Alvin. And when that happens, you have fun. Yeah. Even though we weren't catching fish. Right. So, Jim, you sent us some articles. In one of your articles, you were talking about uh, some of the uh, trips with bad guides. So, will you talk about just you know, contrast how much you like fishing with Alvin versus your three experiences, as I remember, as uh, horrible experiences. It is, and that is a good point. And that's the one point I want to say is that for all of you listening right now, you're always thinking, well, no, I don't use guides very often. They're expensive, blah, blah, blah. All that's true. The problem with it is, is I'm only on the water 15 to 20 days a year in general. So if that's the case, I want to make sure I get the best use of that. Hiring a guide guarantees, one, I'm going to be using the right fly. Two, I'm on the right piece of the water. Three, I'm going to know how to catch fish. And four, I'm going to catch fish. Right. And that's what happens every single time. It's very rare that I get skunked with a guide. But the other part of it is, is that I don't have enough time to put all that together. And in particular, like you talked about, you don't even have a boat. Yeah. Well, the right. guide always has a boat. And so that's why all those factors come into play. So over my lifetime, I've actually logged 120 plus guides that I've fished with. Wow. Many over and over again but 120 different ones. Landon's right. 
Three times I've had guides. Terrible. One, just a tool. He was out on the, in Arizona on the uh, Lee's Ferry. He had a really cool name. I thought, hey, he sounds, you know, Mick. Like, hey, like Jagger. Yeah, you know what I tell. <laughs> yeah. When I set up the appointment, I knew something was wrong. But just the way he talked to me. And then when I show up, have you ever done this with a guide? You show up there, there's one boat, one guy sitting in it, and I'm going, that's got to be our guide. And we're talking back and forth. He never says a thing to us. And I walk up to him and said, are you? And he says, yeah. And you didn't want to tell us who you And I knew this is not going to be a good day. And the whole day went like that. Just every time we did something, he goes, no, I, I told you not to step out on the left side. You're supposed to step out on the right side. I'm, you did? I mean, you're just like, you're just sucking the fun out of it. <laughs> so the best way I describe it is a tool. He was a tool. Yeah. And so I was bad experience. Second, someone all of us know, by the way. I'm not going to say his name, but he is in Texas. He's a saltwater guy. And he's I know. salty. And that's what <laughs> happens is, is that he cusses all the time. And he warns you in the beginning. Zach, you need to know. I cuss a lot when I'm fishing with you. Uh, okay. Well, but having someone cuss at you over and over and over again, it sucks the fun right out of the fishing. Yeah. And the last time I went with him, I just said, dude, I'm not having fun anymore. Take me back to the car. It's over. And I've never went again. And that's when I told Alvin about it. And Alvin said, well, you've never gone fishing with me and I go in salt water. Yeah. So yeah, I went down with him and had a great time. And so I realized, yeah, salt water wasn't the problem. It was this guide who yeah. was salty. And then the third one was up in Alaska, and I'm at an outrageously expensive lodge with outrageously expensive guides. And guess what you find? Guides of a lifetime. These are some of the best of the best, right? And this one actually invented Skagit line. And when he said that, I go, yeah, whatever. I roll my eyes. So I check it out. He did. Sure enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the dude in fact, and then he lets me know in the first hour that I'm fishing with him. You know, Jim, uh, I'm known as a river god. <laughs> god. <laughs> this is going to be a long day. <laughs> That's a and t-shirt, Zach, you need to make as well. I'm known as a river god. I'm, not, I'm known yes, as a river god. Oh, t-shirt. that's it. That is I'm great. noting that right I'm now. I'm known as a river god. A river god. And so that's why I just thought, oh, this is going to be a long day. And sure enough, all the time I'm fishing with him, don't get me wrong, guys, I'm catching rainbow trout of size and wonder that you've never seen. Great fishing. I'm not having a good time. And I said to him, I go, man, you're talking to me like I'm 12 years old. Do you understand what I'm saying? And he looks at me and he says, but you're catching fish. I said, you know, you really don't get it, do you? <laughs> you really don't. I, well, that's not what I'm talking about. Long story short, and it's too late. <laughs> but when I first started fishing, all I wanted to do was catch a fish, right? Then I got older, somewhere in my 20s. I want to catch a lot of fish. Big numbers, all about the numbers. Then in my 30s, 40s, big fish. I want that big fish. I've been to Jurassic and caught a 34 and a half inch trout, you know? I've been up in Alaska and caught a couple over 30 inches. I've been to Russia and caught over 30 inches. Big fish, right? Now, you know what I want? Guys, I just want to go fishing. That's it. And that's why I say that. I told you about that earlier. Yeah. And that is it's not about catching the fish. And I've learned that all too well. And that's why this guy just didn't get it. And so that's why, all due respect, over 120, because I haven't logged all of them, but most of my guides I've been with, and that's why the 120 I have logged, only three were bad. And the point I make to that is, is that you're pretty 
much going to find. You're going to get a good guide yeah. when you hire them. And then what comes with that is all the rest of it. But I can go on and on about all the research. Well, you, and you, you, brought up, you brought up during dinner, one of the things that I appreciated was that you were talking about basically being Mr. miyagi basically. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm being, I'm being shown something without knowing I'm being shown something. And you know, That was Alvin. It. Yeah. Alvin Dido. And that's why that the things I look for, the alternative to what Landon was talking about, right? And that is, you talked about the three bad guides. What is it that makes the good guides? Mm-hmm. And the good guides are just that. They can communicate very well to you. Yeah. But two, they can give instruction without making you think like I'm screwing up, even though I am, and I know better. That's why you didn't ask me about it, but Landon, good fly fishermen go fishing, bad flashmen write stories. <laughs> right? It's like teachers, all due respect. <laughs> right? You know, good do and yes. bad teach. Well, that's how I've often looked at writing, and that is that how it came to me one time was when I was talking to a guide, and I said, but did you read this? Did you read that? You read this? And he goes, no, Jim, I'm too busy fishing to read all that. (laughs) And I thought that was well put because I don't fish so much. I read all the time. And that's why if you read all the time, you become a good writer because I can write like the way they do it. The only difference is in land and you've read it, you know I do a different style. And I'm a very casual writer. And that's where my writing style, where it comes from in the casual style is it was actually in the business when I was with an insurance broker. And I'm working with Fortune 500 companies and the largest oil and gas companies in the world. I would correspond with them in the exact same words. And so young employees who come working, come to work for me from some, you know, UT or A&M, and they'd, well, Mr. Ellsworth, you know, you're actually, you're not using proper English. (laughs) I'd say, because I write like I speak. And everyone knows that about me. And that's how I am. And that's why I just try to keep it real. Don't try to be something I'm not. Just be who I am. And then write in that fashion. And that's exactly that style of writing that you've seen. What else do we have before we, I mean, we're not even really in our interview yet. Yeah, but right. man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going right. to stay here all day. What else can we do? <laughs> so, all right, I got a quick story. Did I mention the FOMO? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm here, guys. Uh, hey, what do you think? It's good. Uh, we, we've just cracked open the other thing that we had. Uh, I was that, wondering this one. That Zach uh, brought was the Desert Door, uh, Texas, what is it, Sotol? Sotol. Sotol. Yeah, I've heard it a couple times. It's 100 proof from uh, spirit distilled from Sotol handmade and matured in Driftwood, Texas. The, yeah, smell, also, the smell on this, it smells like Corpus Christi. It smells like you're at the beach. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Um, so it's made from Texas spoons. If you don't know, they're like the, they kind of look like agave plants, kind of yeah. look like, um, kind of look like yucca plants, but they're really thin grass and they have the three um, like long stalks that come from them. This is yeah. all brewed in Texas, though. This is brewed in Texas. And so this, the plant comes from Texas, too? The plant is all out in the desert, right? So all of their plants they use are wild, uh, wild harvested. Um, they are, this is the oldest spirit in America. So this was made by indigenous people way back when. And so, yeah, so. Uh, Where's the brewery now? It is in Dr- Driftwood. Driftwood. Yep. Which is where, I don't even know where that is. It's like 45 minutes north. The northeast of here okay so not far um but this one is 100 proof it is aged in used garrison brother uh bourbon barrels right and so that's why this one's aged a little bit more than like their their normal stuff um and what are you tasting right now when you taste it so it's it's weird it's sweet it's a little bit smoky there's kind of like there's a citrusness, like a citrus flavor to it, but not like, it doesn't like hit you in the face with citrus, mm-hmm, right? It's like mm-hmm, a little bit, mm-hmm. um, almost kind of like a brown sugar. Yes. Right? Brown sugar, definitely. Yep. Um, 
I don't know. I have been dying to try it for the longest time. They have a regular one that's not barrel-aged and this one. And I got this one, and I have been a fan. I've been using it just to uh, sip on it, also using it as a um, in my old fashions. And I will probably always have a bottle of this in my house It's now. very You ever notice how real sexy women always have a collar like this? Well, it's got a cool-looking collar. <laughs> right? You know? The yeah. bottle's I'm just saying. Yeah, the bottle's really cool, too. Yeah. But it is a... Purely Texas product. Um, I watched a couple videos on how they actually make it. It's really interesting. They take the the actual uh, like bulb, if you will, of right. the plant, and they steam it, and um, then they they pulp it. You know, they create mm-hmm. um, like their their juice out of it, and then that's what they use to actually do the same process of the um, boiling it to get the sugars, and then distilling it, and uh, it comes out clear. But like I said, this one's been the barrel aged. But um, it's fantastic. It's honestly, it it's like it's like a mezcal, but better. Exactly. Ooh. It's like a sweeter mezcal. Yeah. yeah. It's like a, I could handle this over a mezcal. But Me too. I've, I've never had anything where you smell it and it's like it's taken you back to Corpus Christi. Good yeah. memories. Yeah. <laughs> not not like some beers or or uh, uh, other. Uh, uh, yeah. What is it? Uh, fire. What is the fire one? Fireball. Where you're yeah. like, those were bad decisions bad that memories. were made. During, yeah. Bad, bad memories. memories. Yeah. I've been. I've, <laughs> this one's. <laughs> This one's nice. It's a cool. I just like I said. I've never had, I smelled something, and off the bat, we're like, "This is Corpus, man." This smells like not a bad Corpus, but like at the beach. Like this yeah. is the at the beach. Right? There's smell. like a, like a like a fruity. Like I don't. It's like a citrusy or yeah. it's weird, right? Yeah. But it is. It is so good. It is nice. Nice. Oh, so Landon, I'll probably have a bottle of this all the time now, and I think that runs ran sixty dollars. Nice. Yes. Easy to find. Uh, so far, yeah, it's been easy to find until so. our podcast hits, and then everyone will go buy it. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, though, fun. everybody go buy Desert Door Texas Odol. Yeah, good. Thanks for bringing. It. God cool. bless Texas. Yeah, God bless. All Texas. right, I got a quick article for us. This is the only article we're going to do today, actually. And then Jim's going to give us a quick story. But uh, I have an article. Let's do. Let's hit the conservation button. C four. All right. Our good podcast editor, Evan, sent this to us. Researchers keep finding creepy dolls washing up on Texas beaches. Oh, oh no, thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, a, thank you. There's a lot of nightmares out there. Haunted doll watch. And then uh, <laughs> check out this picture, guys. Oh, hell no. Why you got to show the picture? Hell no. <laughs> Zach, I thought you were into horror stories. This is like one happening on our own beaches. Yeah, but it's like aliens and dolls, and then the rest are fine. But those <laughs> two at the top, I just can't handle it. It's yeah. a bad doll with really bad eczema. Yeah, very, yeah. yeah. Researchers. Articles growing on it. Yeah. So the article says. Hey, when that happens. The article says (laughs) researchers regularly survey coasts for creatures like sea turtles, marine mammals, and endangered bird species. And while they often come across debris while coming to Texas shoreline lately, creepy dolls seem to be their most popular find. Pass. (laughs) Pass. I'm done. Uh, Researchers say (laughs) that for years now, They've been mysteriously encountering dolls washing ashore on Texas beaches. The reserve documents the most interesting ones on their Facebook page. The creepy castaways are usually in horrific condition, covered in barnacles or missing their limbs, hair, and eyes. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, guys. Uh, One of the group's most recently shared dolls, which had barnacles growing out of its eyes, um, was on Monday, oh boy, a creepy doll. I know a bunch of you weirdos out there like this, says <laughs> J- Jace uh, Tunnel, director of the Mission Arandis Reserve at the University of Texas Marine Institute. Um, this is some stuff that comes up all the time. 
Um, and yeah, they pretty much. I mean, that's pretty much it. They. Uh, Where are they uh, coming from? So, oh, actually, here's a good t- tidbit. Uh, the first doll they found was the head of a sex doll. I posted a picture of it, and I didn't realize that that's what it was. We got a lot of followers on the page after that. Someone later uh, bought the sex doll's head for $35. And the Fundraisers. <laughs> Fundraisers. The proceeds were donated to a sea turtle rescue program. Tunnel told the Star Telegram. Everybody wins. And it's the 2023 Bud Pretty Trophy. <laughs> yes. Done. And so what they've been doing is they've been taking these dolls, posting them on their Instagram page, and then selling them for conservation. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> That's a great idea. It is. No, it yeah, really is. Just, you clean the beach, you sell it, and then you make money for tour. Right. This is the Hurtles. best. This oh is God. one of the best quotes. The group also gets a surprising number of people requesting to purchase and take the dolls, which we talked about. Tunnel told the Star Telegram that he doesn't keep any of the toys out of fear that they could be haunted, but he sells them at a yearly fundraising auction. There's a lot of nightmares out there, he said. Oh, thanks. Did you guys know there's a whole market on eBay for haunted dolls? There's a market for oh, anything. Wow. No, no, no but like if you like go to eBay and you search haunted dolls, there are so many of them. Well, there's that. There's but that. Are they like selling for like real money? Like or, two, I mean, three hundred dollars, well, and they yeah, all have a story. It's yeah, crazy. There, there's one. There's a. There's a. I want to say it's up north somewhere. I want to say it's like maybe in Michigan or something. But it was. It's a museum that has like all these old dummies, and like there's a video online where there this lady's like passing through the video uh, or just videoing uh, the line of dummies because there's hundreds in this place, and as it's moving. And and one of them, as it passes through the the frame, Uh-oh. like kind of twitches, moves, blinks. I can't remember, but I just remember looking at it. Go, nope, no thanks. Uh uh-uh, uh. Uh-uh. Yeah, like nope. Okay, look at Jody. Yeah, no thanks. Look at Jody. Oh yeah, you want to buy Jody for forty dollars yeah. on eBay? No thanks. Her spirit is active right now. You guys want to know the story of what happened to Jody? Yeah. We're here. Mm-hmm. She was a per- <laughs> <laughs> she was a personal trainer obsessed with her physique. When she was younger, even though no one made fun of her, she was never happy with how she looked. So as she got older, she constantly worked out and washed her calories and ate healthy. That's kind of a she became move. a personal trainer. <laughs> <laughs> she but gave, she's a person. She's she like a porcelain a doll. And helped many people get into shape. She okay. was bubbly and real energetic and just a general good person to be around. She passed away of old age. Oh, wait, that's boring. Yeah, that's she boring. passed away of old age, but considers herself young at heart. Now in spirit, she likes to help other people stick to their diets, eat healthy, oh, and no. live their best lives. <laughs> but this is like this looks she's like an old porcelain doll from nightmares. Really? She is a tagalog spirit, <laughs> meaning her vessel is small enough to take with you, <laughs> and she makes an awesome workout, buddy. So she teaches little girls how to stick their finger or, in her throat, yeah, up, or so you can have a good figure too. Or you, know, you put her on the counter, you put her on the counter, and then you know she'll she'll say. Stop eating fatty. You know, and you're like, who said that? <laughs> oh, no, see, that. I, I think you put her behind you on the treadmill. Oh, that way you're God. running from her the whole time. <laughs> no yeah. kidding. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, uh, you can hear her telepathically urging you to do another set. <laughs> Words of encouragement. <laughs> <laughs> or just a sense of motivation. Well, that's not that creepy. The, the doll's think creepy. I paid 50 bucks an hour for a trainer yeah. to tell me the same thing. No kidding. I need right. that doll. Jody's only $70 one time. So. <laughs> that's a cre- it's a creepy looking doll for such a... 
dumb story. Like a back, I would have been like, "This is Ethel, and she murdered her whole family, <laughs> yeah, no. and now she lives in this doll for seventy bucks." No, <laughs> this was like not just workout, not not Jody. Yeah. who died of old age. The story doesn't match how creepy that doll looks. No, I know. Oh. They're supposed to be murdered or something, right? Yeah, oh, not yeah. not saying she was, you know, died of old age Guys, and had a great there life. There are millions of dolls like this on eBay that now are going to be a regular segment on Honey. Oh, <laughs> oh we need to we need to put a doll up on eBay. That's a fly fishing buddy. Guaranteed to give you helpful tips on the water. Every time. (laughs) Photo. It came here. It came here. It was Jim. Jim lived a happy life and died of old age. And when he passed on, he now lives in this doll. He was a a salty fly fishing guy who just yelled at you. And now you get to own him. I've seen Ken. I think I look good as Ken. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. Jim, cryptozoology. Zach, will you hit the button? So you have a story for us about uh, someone you worked with. Yeah. And you know it's true. Ooh. First-hand so, experience. I love, yeah. I Jim love. started talking about this, and we're like, no, no, stop. We got to wait. We're going to wait, and yeah. you're going to bring this up. Okay. So it is a cold summer night. I'm in northern New Mexico, in oh, Chama, New Mexico. And one of the ladies working at the lodge that I was at started talking about an encounter that she had had with a creature from another world. You know, I'm smelling the Soto listening to you yeah. talk like this, and it's like, I'm there. Right so what happened is the lady that works at this camp okay. starts talking, and we, now we were talking about one thing or another, and I started going through some unusual things that have happened to me, and she goes, well, I had a very unusual thing occur, and this is in Chama, New Mexico. Now, you have to remember, if you know where Chama, New Mexico is, mm-hmm. You go a little bit further north from there and you get over to the reservation, right? Mm -hmm. And if you know anything about that reservation, that's where those cattle were being dissected. Have you ever heard of this before? No. Oh, that they were finding mutilated. Mutilated and and in really unusual ways. Yes. Really? So the thought was it was aliens. And cauterized on these cuts with no blood. Perfectly cut. Yeah. And it's it's all about this mountain right behind there and they think there were aliens in there and it's a long story about it. So you got to put this whole, you know, aura of mysterious things going on in this area. And she tells a story of one late night. She's driving along. And, and I'm going to say it wrong, but I always called him a skinwalker, but she called it a chacumbra or mm-hmm. something like that. It was some word I hadn't heard before, but I asked one, the, one of the other people at the lodge, and he said, yeah, that's like a skinwalker. It's a human slash animal that's out trying to react revenge, has claws like a wolf, and yet has a body somewhat like a uh, human, but blah, 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 and it goes back and forth. And she insisted this thing jumped on her car and attacked her, and she would argue to anybody it was exactly what it was. It was one of these creatures, and it did come after her, and she was able to get away. And how she kept saying it was is because she's a good person in general, and that's why it let her get away. And I <laughs> couldn't wow. help but think, you know, wow. yeah, about these things. And that's why that New Mexico, there are some really interesting stories, but that one area that you both seem to know something about, there were these animals that were dissected, which is yeah. really odd. And I got to admit, I've heard more than one story about it. And for those of you listening right now that don't understand what I'm talking about, their UFOs are now being discussed in front of Congress today, yeah. Yeah. tomorrow. And the next day, and this whole week, they're going to talk about it. Yeah, first time in 50 Well, this is the idea was, here was proof of there is some kind of alien here. We just don't understand what it's doing. And why is it doing this to our cattle? Yeah. And that's why you put that in the whole realm of the story. 
and it makes that creepiness just a little creepier. Yeah, I remember those stories like back back on, back growing up, like in middle school and and in my early high school. So this, and like '90s, early 2000s, there was there was a show late at night on like Fox called Sightings, and they would uh, sight s i g h no sight yeah sightings yeah something like yeah. yeah I think that was the name of it I'm pretty sure yeah and so it bring up a guy it was almost like it was almost like the the uh, was it Robert Stack the uh, the unsolved mysteries oh uh-huh. I do remember that right yeah. but the show was about all this paranoia apart paranormal items and UFOs and everything. So they'd bring up stories and they would talk to people and they'd have like three segments, three or four segments in every episode. And, you know, they talk about ghosts or they talk about like the Mothman or they talk about the UFOs. I remember hearing that where, I mean, there was like 50 to 100 cattle all, like all of them were like almost like a laser had mutilated them, no blood, uh, just cauterized, like really weird cuts. Um, it's not like they were. Mi- I don't think they were like necessarily missing uh, organs, but it was just a really weird phenomena that it had occurred. And as I say, it could have been a government agency, you know, practicing stuff. No one knows, but they just know the farmers came out and they were, you know, th- these were proof of something completely like, weird. The, yeah, the evidence was yeah. like something was happening. Something was right, happening, right. and again, for and they they, so they couldn't have been. You know, chupacabra could have been like an animal attack because of yeah. how those cuts were. And, and they like even said even humans couldn't have done it yeah. because it wouldn't have looked like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Very yeah, crazy. No, see, yeah, I, I don't do yeah. aliens. But That's to but to, to to run into someone who could look you in the First face hand. and go, yeah, and, this and, thing and was on my and, car. And I even said, it, well, come on, and no, you yeah. could tell this. She was dead serious, and no doubt about what had happened to her. And yeah, it was it was interesting. And what it goes to show is is that. It can happen to any of us that you just don't realize that you don't know how much your mind has the ability to see something that it really didn't even see. Oh, yeah. Landon, would you rather be chased by a possessed doll or by a, 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 what is it, skinwalker? Yeah, skinwalker. A doll. I take the doll, too. Uh, yeah. I take the doll. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. other day, like, a, a chihuahua jumped from, like, behind a rock and barked at me, and it was scary for a second. Uh, but mainly because I was surprised. Yeah. But then I really got to thinking about it, and I was like, if it came at me, I'd probably just kick it. But so, German Shepherd could have a different attitude, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, Good like, point. you yeah. know, dolls, okay. skinwalker. Okay, let me rephrase the question. <laughs> Would you rather be chased by a skinwalker or a uh, a uh, doll possessed by a previous uh, uh, athletic? Um, <laughs> well, then I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be able to outrun it. So I know for a fact, I mean, maybe the, how, how fast is a skinwalker? You know. I know. Yeah. I mean, athletes oh, or Jody, I don't know. Yeah. Wow. I, I don't know what I would do. I mean, I'd poop my pants for sure. Oh, clearly. That's why. That, that, that You were talking about it earlier, too. There's a hotel in, in Anchorage that's famous for being haunted. I mean, I'm not, you know, making stories up. This is really true. And then when you go in there, there's a logbook of every single person has seen something paranormal. Oh, really? And you page after page after page yeah. after page. And you're reading all this stuff. And I have pushed Jack so hard. Every time we go, to, come on, we got to spend the night at this hotel. I got, I got to see these ghosts. Yeah, because I've never had any firsthand encounters with paranormal. But but still taking but I really your camera. Want in on it. Yeah, taking your camera and trying to find those orbs that you can you can get. It's just set just, your camera up all night, hit record, yeah. and just see what's it's right. looking at you while you're sleeping. Right? Can you imagine saying I saw a ghost? I mean, how cool would that be? I know. And no, you, you guys would invite me back to the podcast if well, I saw I, a ghost. We'd have yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't I'll, sleep. Just saying. No, I don't care. If it's I'd a just be laying in bed, being like, oh. 
Oh my gosh! Oh my! Gosh. I don't even want yeah. to drive home because I don't want a skinwalker driving, up, <laughs> jumping but on my car. It's this. It's a, but, but the stories were all the same. I went through the logbook, you know, knocking at the door, and I opened nobody there, and it was almost that kind of story. Yeah. I knew somebody was in my room, but I didn't see him, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And yeah. so but you're they, reading through this, and some of it is. That's why my point is the mind's ability to do what it does. But one thing I know of, and again, congressional hearings today. I have no idea what the U.S. Navy saw out there. Yeah, well, I, yeah and it's like, and honestly, it's like I tell you. Know, I can't explain that. It's yeah. like I tell my students. You know, we are one dot that's seventy thousand years away from the closest star outside of our sun in an know? ever expanding universe. Right, and the Milky Way galaxy is two hundred billion stars. You're telling me there's not one other star out there that might have a similar, you know, structure as the Earth. Have you guys seen the picture of the black hole? Yeah, that is too cool. Oh yeah, uh, that's way beyond cool because we're yeah. way past, you know, s- things on Earth looking at right. the black hole. We now have satellite out there looking at the black hole. Yeah, and seeing like the, the colors like and everything. The, yeah, yeah, on the other side. Yeah, it's really cool. <sighs> Intense. I'm not gonna sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. All right. <laughs> Melatonin tonight. There we go. Let's hope. <laughs> Jim, how did you get into fly fishing? Landon. <laughs> I started when I was about seven years old. I started going fishing with my dad, and we'd go to a lake called Lake Holly in Arizona. I'd use night crawlers, and for those of you not knowing, because you're all fly fishermen, that's a worm. We would actually <laughs> buy them. They put them in tin cans like a river runs through it. Remember the bad guy? I was that guy. <laughs> But were, well, you getting, were you getting sunburned, though? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, me, yeah, not, you were, but not okay. with a hooker, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Life wasn't back to it. I admit I was seven. Not a lot of hookers for seven-year-olds. Uh, the town floozy. Yeah. The town floozy. Yeah. <laughs> but in any case, one day, I could hear this, and I knew that sound right away. It's the sound of a fish hatchery truck. And my brother and I, we row over to the spot. And there it is, seven, eight in the morning. It's dropping thousands of trout in the water. So we throw these worms out, and of course we just catch one every time we throw one out. And they're all exactly the same size. <laughs> they're all stock trout. But I'm seven. My brother's nine. We don't care. All we knew was the limit's ten. So when I get ten and you get ten, <laughs> let's go in. And so we got twenty fish. We go back into home. My mother's so impressed. I fed the entire family, and that was my beginning of fishing. So from there. My dad said, we really need to go to lures. And so we started using super dupers and spinners. Mm -hmm. And I love topwater lures, you know, that kind of thing. And especially for bass fishing. When I went to bass fishing, my dad would always have some spinner bait out there. I'm always on topwater. I just love that whole whoosh Mm -hmm. on top of the water and the way the largemouth take. And Arizona has a share of largemouth bass. Well, then it didn't take but a couple of years. And... We went to the Arizona Flycasters Association meeting and went to a little lake that's in the middle of the fairgrounds right in the center of Phoenix. And there was a class on how to cast a fly. And my brother's out there and he's enjoying it. My dad's out there. He's enjoying it. I'm loving it. And I can remember one of the things that happened was at one point I caught the telephone line because I have terrible cast. And I remember thinking, I'm, yet I'm still having fun. <laughs> I told the guy, I go, even though this just happened to me, I'm still having fun. And it just took off from there. How old were you at this point? At now I'm about 11. Okay. And Crap. so then what happens is then every time we go fishing, the same thing would occur. My brother and my dad would go out and they go to that honey hole right there. And it's always the same. It's right there by where we parked our car. And I always knew, screw that. Two things. I want to get away from my dad and two. I want to get away from where other people have been fishing. 
and that meant go for a hike. I would say goodbye to my dad and my, my brother, and off I'd hike. I'd go about a mile. And they knew, upstream. I yeah. always go upstream. And then i start fishing from that point forward. Well, then one day I heard my brother talk to my dad while I was casting. And it was a line out of a river runs through it. And I heard my dad said, my God, where did Jim learn that kind of casting? And my brother said, Dad, he's been doing that for a long time. I didn't have any lessons. I just started learning to cast. And what you saw in the movie, right, shadow casting, mm -hmm. I started trying that, trying shadow casting because I'd heard of it. And I started practicing it and practicing it and practicing it and practicing it and practicing it. And guess what? I got kind of good at it. And that's what you do. If you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, you're putting a dry fly over the same spot over and over again so it looks like it, and then you finally drop it. And the fish, within three to four seconds, comes up and takes it because they've been waiting for you to finally land. And that was kind of the idea, and that's why I learned how to do it, and that's what my dad and my brother had seen. And that's how I did it, and that's how I got started. And I fell in love with the sport. So then my company I worked for said, we're going to move you to any place in the country. Where would you like to go? I looked him right in the eye, and I said, Billings, Montana. <laughs> and they said, now why? So the next thing you know, I get a phone call. Now, you all are of the Zoom generation, so you don't understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> but back in the old days, when there were six people on a telephone line, it was really weak call. You could barely hear the people talking. You could tell there were too many people on the line. It was drawing the energy away from the line, so to speak. Mr. Ellsworth, this is so-and-so. I'm the president of the St. Paul Fire and Marine Insurance Company. I want to know why you want to go to Billings, Montana. In the 134-year history of the St. Paul Fire and Marine, no one has ever asked to go to Montana. And I said, well... Mr. Johnson, I go, the reality is I'm a fanatic of a fly fish. Ah, you're one of those. <laughs> okay, you're going to open the office in Billings, Montana. So I open the office in Billings, Montana. I hire a loss control safety engineer. I hire a receptionist. I get the whole office set up. I'm in ordering paper clips. I mean, I'm that kind of guy, starting right from the very beginning. It just takes off. Well, you know how doctors sometimes take Wednesdays off to go golfing? I took Wednesdays off to go fishing. <laughs> Because I'm in freaking Montana, boys. <laughs> <laughs> and so I would go up, and every Wednesday, I'm off fishing. And then my wife said, you know, honey, on the weekends, it's, you know, going out overnight, I don't like that. And all due respect, I knew what she was saying. So like a lot of people, I said, so what's the rule? She goes, don't spend overnight. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> so I would get up at 3 in the morning, drive to Yellowstone Park, Get to Trout Lake or Fish Lake or wherever lake I was fishing. Fish it and fish it and fish it until dark. Then drive back home and get home before midnight. And I go, hey, I didn't spend the done. night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was how I got into fly fishing. And that was the very beginning. And that was it. And how it took off. And then once I was there, it really took off. And then, as you know all too well, then as time went what by. What year would have this been? What year this would This in the 80s. All in the 80s. Okay. I was in Montana. Then the 90s, I was in Hawaii, and I came back to Texas. And then finally, I started traveling to go fly fishing and went to these unbelievable places. And I've sent you a list of all 120 places I've been to. And they're fantastic. They really are. And I love all of them. But the other thing that started to occur was is that I realized, what more can I do with the sport? And that's why I talk about I joke about writing. And I did write my first article. And it was in the early 80s, and it was for a magazine called 
Fly Fishing the West. Have you ever heard of the Curtis Creek Manifesto? Yes. That's by the same publisher. It is Frank Amato, and I know him, out of Oregon. He contacted me and said, you know, give me a story. And I gave him a story about home water. And I got published, and I loved it. I tried a couple more times, got rejected, got rejected. And that's one thing you learn as a writer. You get rejected a lot. (laughs) And then as time went by, I started getting near retirement. I started going on more fishing trips. I started writing emails to friends. Hey, the three of you, look at what I just did. And then finally one of them said, you know, you ought to submit this to a fly fishing magazine. So I did, and it got published. And then I realized, hey. What a good friend. I know. So I started doing that all the time. And that was, uh, and, and that frankly, it was a magazine oriented toward one thing, anglers who travel. So great. I'm great. I'm set up. I've got this deal going. Yeah. So article after article after article gets submitted and published and published and published. And then all of a sudden, one day, my publisher calls me and says, hey, we're in COVID, and we're a magazine that specializes in people who travel to go fly fishing. Not a lot of people traveling to go fly fishing right now. Mm. All my advertisers are pulled, all their advertising. I've gone out of business. Uh. He goes, but I recommended you to Trout Unlimited. And so then TU contacted me. And I started submitting articles to their online magazine with the hopes I could make the cut to their print magazine, Trout. Mm-hmm. So then the article you saw on Steelhead Valhalla, that was the one. And he said, actually, Jim, this is good enough for the Traver Award. You should submit it to them instead. Because if it's been published, you can't go to the Traver Award. So I thank you, sir. Send it off to the Traver Award, and that's where it sits. And on May 31 is the expiration of the contest, and I'll find out. Will you find out on May 31? No, it'll take about a week. They send them out to uh, all kinds of readers who then do evaluations, and they come back with scores and whether or not you got it or not. And whether you only pick one. Will you make sure wow. to let us know? I will let you know. Yeah. Yes, please I, I got to say that my anticipation is no, I won't get it. But it's not the $2,500. It's more on one thing I've heard, realized all too well. Every time one of my works is published, I go, oh, my God, Zach liked it. You know, people are reading it. And it was really cool. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it. It was just the confirmation you're doing okay. Like you never lose that thrill of somebody pub- somebody publishing and choosing. It isn't. And then the other point is, why do I write? Well, gentlemen, math has never been my strong suit. So keeping that in mind, 50% of the fun of a trip is planning the fly fishing trip. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go there. I'm going to get this. I'm going to use this. The other 50%? Fishing, catching fish, all the experience. The third 50%, remember I told you about math. Writing about it and looking through the photos. I love doing that. It gets me to recreate the whole experience. Remember all those details. And there are two people inside of me that writes these stories. There's the scribe and there's the muse. The scribe, write down what you've done. See that notebook right there with my picture on top? What you guys are looking at, why did I bring that here? I'm going to write down everything we just did right here. It's like a log, a diary, if you will. Better term is a journal. That sounds more manly than diary, doesn't it? I like so scribe. Yeah. Uh, dear, yeah, dear journal, so I, I got that hammered down. tonight. I know, yeah. <laughs> High-end whiskey. I have read that. I have read that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I write that stuff down. And so that's what happens. And that's the scribe. And that's easy. Yeah. When I'm on a plane coming home from Alaska... That's what the flight attendants will say. What are you doing? I'm a writer. Oh, I can tell. 
And what they see is me going like this. <laughs> Sweating. Right now, right now. <laughs> They're trying to remember every detail, every yeah. quip, every little funny thing they said. Landon said that really funny thing. You know, all, all these kind of things. And each one of those things, I write them down. But the problem is the other person didn't show up. The scribe is done. Now, where is the muse? Where is the creativity? It is the weirdest place, and that's right. Sometimes it's alcohol-induced. I have no <laughs> idea what causes it. You all are Texans, and you know what I'm talking about. The big freeze hit, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So the big freeze hits. And I look at one of my articles, and suddenly the muse showed up. Do this, do that, do this, this, that, 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 do this, and then place this. And this is really funny. And so now all I had was the printed copy. I had no electricity. So I cut. Remember how you talk about cut and paste? Yeah. I was cutting, pasting it on wall, pasting it down there on a the wall, then grab yellow paper, write down something, put it in between the two, started pasting it, pasting it. I cut and pasted on a wall, a literal wall, all of the article, and then came up with my article. And that is what you now see as Steelhead Valhalla and my thinking about that. And that's where that came from was the big freeze. Well, let's talk about this. The, you bet. The my article. favorite article. And, and, and as I told you in email, and for all those of you listening, people always say we're writers. John Gierick, probably my favorite author of them all, right? Trout Bum, favorite book of all time, of fly fishing. And he said, every time you ask him, What's your favorite book, John? You've written 18 books. What's your favorite? Guess what he'll tell you? My next one. The last one I wrote. The last one I wrote. And he goes, and he's right. The last thing I wrote? Steelhead Valhalla. It's my favorite article. Yeah. Yeah, it just is. And so he is yeah. right. <clears throat> All due respect to John. Nope. Trout Bum was the best one. Rod of my own. Second best one. At my humble opinion. But the reality is, is that, yes, he's written 18-plus books. Right. But he thinks the best one was the last one he did, which was Fishing with Strangers and blah, blah, blah. I can't remember the yeah. whole name of it. And it was good. Not I don't think I've read all those, but I've definitely read uh, Death, Taxes, Leaky Way, and Leaky Way. Read that one, too. I read, I've read all his. Yeah. 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 But, but still, to, to, to go back and think about the process, it took you much like, a, much like a, a, one of your favorite you know, fishing stories that everyone has, their own one of either I caught one fish, but it took us a week, or we had leaky waders, or we had this, or we have that. I, I think just that right now, you know, the way you're talking about it is just the whole lead up to like, I didn't have power from this. I'm cutting stuff out. I'm do, I don't have the luxury of of typing it out. And I I'm sitting here going like I'm the only one that didn't lose power during that time. Oh, and I had to work. We all hated you, yeah, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, you didn't bastards have, didn't have problem. No problem. I had power the whole time, and I'm working, and I'm talking to other people that had the experience of losing power, and like, well, what do we do? We're talking. We're hanging out. We're doing something without being connected to yeah. a laptop or or whatever. So I feel like I missed up. <laughs> and for those of you outside of Texas that don't know what we're talking about, it was below 30 degrees, and so it was cold as yeah. hell. Uh, for, we, hey, for Texas, hey, we were for freezing like, our for ass like off. three or four days and in snow. Row, and we, we had, had snow. snow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So your article, let's talk about it a little bit. Sure. Not necessarily the article specifically, but your mindset behind this article. Absolutely. You quoted... Uh, Pretty early on in the article, I had a sense of accomplishment catching my first steelhead, but I also felt a tinge of regret. And the next line. So why the regret? And that's exactly right. 
It's the Trout Unlimited conservationist in me. Okay. That one thing I do when I go fishing is I really do. I do too much research. I go overboard on it. I read about it. I look into it on videos. I go on the internet. I contact local fly shops. I visit with them in person. I talk to guides. I talk to other fly anglers. Everything. Because it's all part of the experience. I even grab books. And this one that Landon's talking about, I grabbed something by uh, Hooten that was talking about steelhead and how they're declining in population. And so I got that. And, and people in British Columbia all knew about Hooten. He's very famous, very f- good fish biologist and great author. Well, so I put all that together. So what happens is I've never caught a steelhead. And for every fly angler, you know what I'm talking about. People who catch steelhead, it's like once you do, you never go back. They fall in love with this one aspect, and it's just crazy love. It's like, why are you so into this? So I had to find out, because my favorite fish in the whole world is a rainbow trout. I'm sorry. I know a lot of people, including your friend Tom Rosenbauer, will tell you, a brown trout. And he's right. They're bigger. They're harder to catch. I like rainbow trout. The complete artificial fish, I think was the name of the book. <laughs> talks about the rainbow trout and how they're stocked. Oh, entirely synthetic fish. Entirely I've synthetic. read that book. Yeah. Very, very good book. It's a very good book. And again, about my favorite it's, fish. It's about, I also read the, the, the complete brown trout, Salamatruda. It, it's about, uh, quick, uh, change real quick, but it's called Entirely Synthetic Fish. It's the history of rainbow trout and how they went from being a fish on the West Coast to traveling all the way across the West Coast and how they are like widely known as like the trout species now. And sidebar, I'm in Kamchatka, Russia, and the Russian guide talking to me about these, and he goes, "The rainbow trout. This is where they come from." And I go, "Oh, they originated here." Yes. I go, "Well, Alaska too. I don't know about that." No, because you know, <laughs> he goes, "American propaganda." <laughs> but then he goes. And, and all due respect to the Russians now after Ukraine, he goes, they are like Russians. They are bigger and meaner. And I thought, yeah, they are tough. And they really were. And that is, I went to the origin of trout, rainbow trout, and that was in Kamchatka. And that was really cool. But the reality is, I just love that fish. And a steelhead is nothing more than a rainbow trout that goes to the ocean, and we have no idea why. We DNA test them, and guess what we find out? They are a pure rainbow trout. We do not understand why they go to the ocean like a salmon. But unlike a salmon, when they come back and breed, they go back and do it again and go back and do it again. Except just dying. Yeah, exactly. Now, some don't make it, and obviously that's the big issue. But the point about the regret. So I really want to catch this fish. But I've done all this research, and one thing I've learned all too well is the numbers of steelhead being counted is going down every year on the West Coast and going down every year and going down every year. And now we're down to about 5 to 10% of normal numbers. Whoa. So when you catch one, the first thing that crossed my mind was that I just interrupt the entire process of spawning. Have I now stopped something from happening? And that's why the regret. Yeah. Why the reality of it all? I'm like you guys, right? I always wanted to catch one. Yeah. 
But I told the guides in advance when I went on this river trip. I said, look, see those two guys in the boat? They put three in a boat, by the way, which is kind of weird, but three in a boat. I go, you take care of both of them. They're steelhead fishermen. They know what they're doing. I was here two years ago. I didn't catch anything for a whole week. So I came up here thinking, I'm not going to catch anything. So I'm not here to catch a fish. I just want to have a good time. Yeah. I want to see the world. I want to see the wildlife. I want to see the flora. I want to see the fauna. I want to cast and learn how to spay cast because I'm really bad at it. I want to get good at it. But can I wade in water that's easy to wade? Don't put me in the good spot. Just put me in the spot that's easy to wade. So that's what happens. Two others are down there, way down river, on the Skeena River, very famous river for large steelhead. Yep. And I'm in this other spot, and I'm just seeing the spot, and just like the three of you, I am a trout fisherman. So I see the fast water, I see the slow water, I see the bubbles. We call it a seam. Let me cast to the seam. So I do the spade cast. Out it swings, and I swing the fly down. And once it hits the seam, guess what happens? The silver flash hits i set the hook and out of the water comes the largest rainbow trout i've ever seen bam now we fly fishers are normally pretty subtle we're normally pretty reserved i'm anything but typical gentlemen (laughs) (laughs) so when i caught this fish and all the way down the canyon you could hear that I can hear the engine of the engine starting up from the jet boat. Up comes the guy because he knew what had happened. Yeah. So now he had jumped two more times. So I had no question in my mind. I had a steelhead on the line and a big one, right? And it was. It was nice. And it was very nice. And so I bring it in and the guide helps me with the netting of it. And I take it up. And for what it's worth, I want you all to know, within three seconds, I lift it up. I do the photo, the hero shot, and I put it back down in the water. And when it comes down... Whoosh! It hits up with its tail and splashes me in the face, letting me know I'm doing just fine. Screw you. (laughs) But then I thought to myself, what Landon said. I had some regret. First thing I thought was, wow, she looked kind of tired. She came up 270 miles miles up the Skeena. She went past all those people in the nets out in front of the river. She went past all the indigenous people with their nets. She went past every bird that tried to eat her. She went past, she went past, she went past for 275 miles, and now I caught her. I felt bad. So I look at the people standing there right with me, celebrating my new first ever caught. I reel in my line. I go, one and done, boys. And they go, what are you talking about? I go, I'm done. I caught my steelhead. Well, you're going to keep fishing. Nope. I'm going to go down and see that waterfall you talked about. And that's what I did. I went off hiking, just started appreciating nature, found a little young grizzly bear, found some other wildlife, saw some tracks from a wolf, went down to a waterfall in the Skeena where you can't even bring the boat up. That's why we were in this one spot that came down from the Sustat into the Skeena was we were above that waterfall. So I went down to the waterfall and I could see. Nobody can get past that. Unless you pour it into the vessel, you're not going to get past that waterfall. And that same thing, I couldn't help but think, but if we went down too far, we'd go down that waterfall. <laughs> but, so that has what happened. And that was the regret, and that's why I stopped. But now it's, don't kid me, I mean, it's in the mountains, and it's cold, and it's wet, and so I start getting cold. So I go back to the place where the boat is, and I set up a camp, and I start making a fire. 
I warm myself up and I get a bigger fire and a bigger fire because well, I'm a boy, you know, and I like fire. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sticking rock, you know, sticks in it and making, you know, things going to happen. More wood. <laughs> fire, big fire. <laughs> well, then the other two guys show up and the guide and they all have lunch and they're all eating and I'm, um, you know, hey, you like my fire? <laughs> and then finally they go, oh, we're going back fishing. And I go, watched him and I looked at the guide and I go wouldn't it be funny if I just fish where Steve is right now and caught one he goes yeah it'd be funny <laughs> so I wait for Steve I'm just sitting there with the fire playing with the fire and I see Steve move on down he's all intense you know I go back up there I catch another one <laughs> <laughs> Yahoo! <laughs> I can hear the jet boat coming back up and they took the picture of guys I was walking on air I have never been so happy in all my life yeah I mean, I didn't just catch one of the fish of a lifetime. I caught two. But that's when I knew it was over, that I really didn't want to catch any more. I really just wanted to keep in the experience. And all I kept thinking was, I hope the other people catch a bunch. And they, others did catch some, not many. There were still half the fly anglers in that whole camp. Never caught a single tug. I mean, it's just remarkable what's going on with can, the steelhead. Can you imagine, Jim, coming to your spot that you had just been fishing for an hour and catches catches a steelhead that should have been your fish and then only for him to look at you and go i'm a river god <laughs> and the and the other angler looked at him and goes steve i'm wondering the same thing <laughs> I was really, dude i'm sorry <laughs> i was just like a joke i didn't think it really happened <laughs> jim i think there's something to this uh way to steelhead fish because i went steelhead fishing for one day on the Solduck river in washington state mm-hmm it was a one-day guided trip. I had no expectations. Didn't expect to catch a fish. I was out there visiting family. I was mm -hmm. with a family member. I just wanted to have a good day on the water, maybe catch a sea-run cutthroat trout, and my day will be made. But I'm out here to learn for the experience. No expectations. Five minutes into the trip, I catch a steelhead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's easy. Yeah, and you're like, hey, and you're on this trip, hey, I'm just here to have a good time. I hope these guys do well. And I think both of those, because you can't fake sincerity no. in that. You couldn't, like, tell yourself, oh, I'm just here to have a good time, but you have this deep desire to catch a fish. But I feel like I know that I was sincere in that mentality. I'm just here to have a good time. You were there. I want my buddies to be with the guy. They, I mean, he had to motor up to come to you. I mean, yeah. you know, he was focusing on those guys. You were just there doing your thing. Uh, maybe there's something to this. The, the Steve I talked about was one of those two guys. Yeah. And, and Steve, by the way, is number three at Microsoft. He's in charge of all their acquisitions. You've heard about the recent one they just made, mm -hmm. uh, a very well-known uh, action game. Um, he really is an amazing guy. And that's what he said. He goes, Jim, been fishing for 20 years. I've never seen anyone get as excited as you about seeing an eagle. I thought, see, that's the point. Yeah, that's the point. It's not about the fish. It's about everything there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was the point. And the interesting thing was Steve really saw it. His friend always thought I was just kind of pain in the ass and just kind of trouble on the boat. And that was fine. You know, just yeah. you guys have fun. I don't want to get in your way. And I took 100 photos of him just to prove I was a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> and sent them to him. <laughs> <laughs> and they did. They caught several. In fact, uh, three or four, I think. No, but you bring, up, you bring up a good point. There's a lot of guys that have the money to go do these trips, but they, they take on the trip as if it's a work project, and they're yeah. so focused on yeah. stuff. 
that they're there, that when things aren't happening, they are so upset and uptight about it that you kind of have to go with that mentality, like land in on your trip, where it's like, or like we've talked before. And the, I, I just want to point out, yeah. that's not me on every trip. Right, right. but we I go on trips, and I'm like, oh, I have to but catch a tar brick right, right, on right, right. this trip. Right. But on my solo trip, that was not my mentality. But, but this, but you've brought it up before, where where you're out trying to show someone how to do it. So you're not necessarily wanting to catch a fish. You're just saying, "Hey, this is how you cast. You're gonna put it right there. I know you're struggling, but here, just do it this way." It happens and, every time. Yeah, right. And you're you're gonna pull because it's just it's just something about the 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 aura, the the you know mojo, whatever's going on at that moment. That I just feel like if you're so uptight on it, you're not gonna have the success that you were if you're just in the moment and relaxing. And I've been on, on a, a couple of trips where, again, the guys I'm going are just so uptight with regular work that even when they go on this trip, it's like, I got to catch something because I'm, I'm finally got a day off. I'm going to do it. And they, and it just makes it tough for everybody because you're seeing them struggle for so much. But you heard me mention the first time I went there, I had a whole week there. Yeah. Caught nothing, yeah. not even a tug, nothing. Right. I caught a bunch of bullies, bull trout. Have you ever caught one of those? And they're great, and that was a lot of fun, but I never caught one before, and that was fun, but didn't catch a steelhead. Yeah, didn't catch a steelhead. I was in a boat, and they because I was solo that time as well as the second time. They put me with two Germans coming out here from Germany, and every time I get back in the boat, they'd say, "Jim, how was the fishing?" <laughs> I'd say, "You know, boys, I just had a time in my life not catching fish any fish. <laughs> you know, we're gonna throw you out of the boat." <laughs> they were so pissed off because that's who they were. Yeah. They were all about where are the fish. And I go, I'm, I'm having the time of my life. Are you kidding me? And in particular, Landon, spade casting is a whole different kind of deal. And that was fascinating to me, was having guides teach me how to do a spade cast. There is the single and the double spay, and there's the snap tee, and there's yeah. a, I mean, there's all, it's a whole different way of fishing. Yep. And surprisingly, but not so surprisingly, I can use them with my regular fly gear, too. I've done that before. When I'm in heavy wind, I've learned I can do a snap tee and still get that fly out there. And so it has taught me something new about fly fishing while at the same time having a lot of fun yep. going after fishing in the old-fashioned way. So uh, I have a question for you, Jim. So you talked about this trip, how um, you had a huge sense of accomplishment, and then you had regret for catching a steelhead. I did. And there's probably an argument to be made that maybe we shouldn't fish for steelhead, given your 230-ish miles up the river, you caught a fish that's on a journey. There's only 5 to 10% of them left. Uh, let's, you know, counterbalance that with the thought of if anglers did not pursue this fish, would there be so much conservation awareness about steelhead? Absolutely not. That, in my own opinion, is a humble opinion, I promise, and that is commercial fishing and indigenous people have a far more to do with the reduction in the population than the fishers like you and I. All, I understand. Catch and release, there's going to be some death. The fly shop owner in Vancouver, and I've got a long story about that, by the way, offline I can tell you about how friendly Canadians are. You know, that philosophy or that theory or yeah. reputation they have of being friendly? Yeah. It's true. I mean, this guy was no different. And that was the point he made to me. He goes, Jim, you're going to have no effect on the population of steelhead. And he's probably right. But at the same time, I couldn't help but think, all due respect, dude, some people don't know how to handle fish. Yeah. And they damage them. And it hurts. 
And I have, I've done it. I've handled a fish too tight. I've grabbed one and grabbed too tight with my hands where I can actually see fingerprints on it. It's not going to probably survive, right? And so all due respect to what he said, we all kill fish sometimes when we do catch and release. And so there is some of that landing. But the numbers on commercial fishing versus the numbers on recreational fishing, I'm of the opinion commercial fishing is where the real issue is. And that's why I say that, and that, and what every angler and every guide wants to talk about is indigenous people. Because they used to gig them, right? They used to have these stab, and they'd stab them with, a, with a, some kind of gaff. Well, now they net them, and they can net all the way across the river. There's nothing getting through there, right? I've watched both of them, and what they would use is these huge nets that go about a third of the way in the river. So that's why two-thirds are probably getting away, but they're still just netting them. And I'll... I, I have to respect that. They're, what we used to call Indians when I was a boomer, right? Now we call indigenous people. Uh, the Canadians call them First Nation. I love mm -hmm. that name. That's a better name than indigenous in my mind. But they have every right to do that. Mm -hmm. So for us to now say you're forbidden to do that would increase the population. But what are we saying to the indigenous people and to the commercial No, and, I, and I'm not saying that that's... Uh, I, I, I'm not saying that that's a thing that we should approach even at all. I'm just saying... Oh, I am. In, in, I'm actually considering yeah. the very fact that the only answer is complete no fishing for a period of time. Like anybody. Well, I, I, because right. the numbers have taken such a hit. Right. My, and, but my, you have to remember, it starts like an you know, early part of the year because that's when they first hit the river. Uh -huh. I saw them in September, right? But they actually probably hit the river somewhere around April or May. So now we're talking about at what point are you going to say no fishing? Yeah. And how long are you going to say right. it? And to say it for a whole year, that's no way. That's, that's not going to happen. happen. Yeah. Never. My, my question is more related just to, of, about the bringing people into the sport and getting them on fire for conservation. If there was no fly fishing for steelhead, I feel like fishermen are the biggest push in conservation. It'd be gone by now in my mind. Okay. Yeah, that without anglers, without people like Trout Unlimited and their same kind of aspect in Canada, I'm of the opinion Steelhead will be gone. Really? It was people like Hooten who talk about it, say, we got a problem going on here. Let's get aware of it. And his book talks about it, the progress of it in the 80s, the 90s, and finally, real regulation started. Are we, and are while I was up there, they figured out something's wrong, and they said, as of October 12th, no more fishing, period. Yeah. Stopped at all. They cut it off. Are we seeing any progress being made? No. Yeah. No, that uh, the uh, rivers you and I know, all the ones up and up, up down from California to Oregon to Washington, all the numbers are down all across the board. Now, don't forget, so many different factors. I love to point out about some of these issues about commercial fishing, but you have to remember there's also foreign fishers out there beyond U.S. waters. The indigenous people I talked about, the commercial fishers I talked about, you and I talking about it. Dams. Dams. Big one, the Kalamath, right? We're taking them down one by one in Oregon. We're going to take down all these dams so we can get them open. Even fish ladders, all due respect, they help, but they don't Fix the cure problem. the problem. The only cure is exactly what you said, Landon. Remove the dam. And Trout Unlimited is big on that on the snake right now. If you know, that's their big thing is get rid of the dams and the snake. And so that would make a huge difference. But the idea is that in Idaho, you can catch salmon if we can get rid of those Damn dams. <laughs> um, Jim, you said you had some questions for us. I did. Because I have been fishing for a long time. 
And that all of you know that my son is Dr. Aylesworth. Who doesn't believe in flat earth. He's not the kind of doctor that helps people. You know, he's the kind of doctor that teaches people. I tell him that all the time. You know, Tim. But all due respect, and Tim's going to hear this podcast, by the way, of course. So, Dr. Tim Ellsworth is a philosophy professor at Florida International University. And so, as a philosophy professor and my son, he has taught me very much to research the inside of it. And so, I'm going to ask the three of you, and that is, why do we fly fish? And I have to warn you in advance, I don't want to hear the answer that people puts us with. I don't want to answer the answer that places it puts me. Other than that, why do you spend so much time? All of us have limited funds, and yet you spend way too much money on it. If you don't believe me, ask your wife. She'll tell you. Yeah. Right? Even on pro discounts, we and spend a lot of money on Even on doing programming <laughs> material for a podcast. Look at how much you did in the name of fly fishing, right? <laughs> we all do it. Why do we do it? So have you guys been thinking about this? I have. Yep. All right, Zach, go for it. Okay. So I typically live my life on like the purpose of life coming for me comes down to two principles. Mm-hmm. Uh, treat people with kindness and make sure and help people get to live like their best life at all possible. And the other side is being curious about the world. Right. All right. So I think for me, fly fishing falls into the latter as far as I am extremely curious on how the world works. And like I went fishing on Saturday and I found myself, as I'm walking around, I'm listening to the bird chirps, right? And I'm with somebody who he has been like a bird watcher for a while. So I'm like taking in everything he has to say about the the birds that are happening around me. You know, like things that like I've heard mm-hmm. them. Every time I go fishing, I listen to the birds, right? But because I'm with him, he is showing me and teaching me something else about the birds, right? Like um, – he can identify several different types based on their calls, right? And so I'm trying to pick up on those as we're going, right? And I know the mockingbird calls because they're they're typically, uh, they'll change their tone several times in one call versus other birds will just kind of stay on one one tone and repeat it several times. Um, And I think it kind of comes down to the same thing as far as like learning that the Guadalupe bass, where do they live, right? But for a lot of them, they like to live in the ripples, right? What are they eating? Where are they eating in the water column? Um, and that kind of breaks it down a little bit. But maybe me being a science-minded person, I love, I mean, like, you know, the world is... You're in your realm. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, it's crazy to think that there's this ecosystem here that is, you know, when, <laughs> for lack of a better word, people are typically away, it's perfect, right? Like, uh you know, everything just kind of lives in its harmony. The, the birds are there, and as you walk closer to a certain area, you'll, you'll hear the birds pick up, right? Birds that weren't singing and chirping, and then as you get closer to an area, you'll hear them start alerting other birds around them. And uh, I don't know. There's uh, there's something special about being outside. And I think the other thing, too, is uh, I've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast, is that every time I'm, I step foot in the water, it brings me back to my childhood, right, mm. of, like, running through, like, I had three other brothers, and we all had, you know, thigh high, or not thigh high, but knee high rubber boots running and through, jorts. running, and shorts running through the creeks, just messing around, just talking about nothing but everything at the same time, you know? And 
every single time I step in a river, in a creek, wherever I am, I'm immediately brought back to that where it's just, I'm just out there, not a care, you know, worrying about nothing, but also being so interested in everything that's happening around me, taking it all in. And I think that's just what makes fly fishing special special for me and why I continue to do it, you know. That was great. Landon. How do we follow that up, Zach? I know. I was thinking about that. I know. I'm glad I don't have to. <laughs> I have some answers, but they're not as good as that. Jim has turned the tables on I us. Know. Dude. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. <laughs> so why do we fly fish, Landon? So. Dude, you even got a tattoo for it. I know. That had to hurt. It did. Okay. This half. So why'd you no do it? Pain. This half pain. Yeah, the closer you get. Uh, the outdoors for me has always been, and not just fly fishing, because right. I was a backpacking guide and whitewater, so just like being outside for me has always been, um, I guess, has always been an escape and just a place to like recharge, recharge my mind, recharge my soul. I always feel, it's like you feel good after you work out. The workout was painful. I'm not saying going outside is painful, but... Um, being outside is a place to place to recharge. And that's why when I talked about earlier on the show as well, when I went out, I went out and did a fishing tournament this weekend. I could have taken it extremely seriously, but I didn't because I needed to, I spent time with my wife. I spent time with a dog and it was just nice to be out camping, be in the river, play with the dog, do a little bit of fishing and just recharge because whatever life has thrown at me in the last couple of weeks has been extremely difficult and it has just been really, really nice just to be outside. And everyone's that sta- leaves. A- a- everyone's <laughs> staring at me now. <laughs> um, there's, hey, there's there's more drink. There's more. Yeah, I think I'm drinking enough. <laughs> drunk and drink whatever. Um, I have the correct answer to the question, by the way. <laughs> oh, I'm excited to know what the right answer is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have I been doing this wrong? Yeah. <laughs> um, I I have always been someone that will get into something and jump into it hardcore. Run and go into that. Go into that. That your hobby is hobbies. We talked about it at dinner. My hobby is getting into hobbies. Um, <laughs> That's fly, a good hobby. Yeah, <laughs> fly fishing. There's a break. There's a break that happened about six years ago. I am six years removed from a cancer diagnosis, mm-hmm. and. The life-changing. Life-changing. Yeah. Um, and on one side of that, it was to get out of the house, something to do, again, this hobby of getting into hobbies. Um, the fly-tying aspect, I, I fell in love with the art of the fly-tying mm-hmm. part of it and, and taking something that you made and catching fish that no one else had tied and made. Hard to describe the feeling. Right. On the other side of the cancer diagnosis, and... Going through the the treatment, the surgeries, the radiation, at the same time as losing a friend, uh, as I was going through my recovery of stage four metastatic breast cancer, um, that's turned into being involved with real recovery and being involved with casting for recovery. I saw the hat. Yeah, and and in those. And even in my volunteering of those, knowing that I've helped people for at least a couple of hours 
to not think about the stuff they're going through. And some of my participants have passed. And mm. the... Sorry. Yeah, it's just the... Hard. The part of now when I go and fish um, and being a participant through reco- re- real recovery and, and going through that stuff uh, as a participant and ways to, to kind of get through the mental issues that you're going to go through, whether it be depression or, or anything else, the anxiety of it, you're so focused when you're out there trying to figure out my, what am I throwing the right thing? Am I, you know, am I, do I have enough weight on my, my Euronymph jig? You know, am I, am I presenting it right? Where it's taking you away mentally of all of the worries of, you know, my blood tests every six months Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, checking the numbers are right. Or if I go in this, you know, this next time or my number is not right. Um, and, my last, my T cell count. I assume you talking uh, about. Yeah, some other ones in regards to the thyroid cancer. Oh, so we're checking, right, we're right. checking, making sure the levels are good of the medications. And my last checkup wasn't necessarily good. Still, numbers were a little off. So I have to go in three months to redo blood work and, mm. and check. Um, so it's always it, it's a constant battle outside of that. On top of work stuff, on top of being married, on top of having a kid and running around. So it's it's. Being out, and yeah, the nature thing for sure. Um, but you're so focused on that task at hand that it is shutting off all of the other thoughts and anxieties and stuff that you have running on a daily basis. So true about fly fishing and yeah. casting for recovery, like you talked about. Yeah. A wounded warrior project, yes. right? I mean, I can go on and on. How many things? Because we all know what we're talking about. Yeah. That is when you're on the water and you're fishing, you're thinking about one thing, fishing. Yeah, you're thinking. You're not about thinking fishing. about life. You're not right. thinking about your problems. You're not thinking about the good things or bad. Th- you're thinking about fishing. Yeah, and you're you're in the moment. We've, we've right. talked about it on previously, even on Steve Ramirez's yep. uh, thing. I remember that. Uh, where you know we're talking about just you're out. You're in the moment. You're in nature. You're away from your phone. You're away from the busyness of things that are going on. You know, soccer practices or all that, mm-hmm. which is still it's fantastic being a, a parent and doing that. But it's it's you, and it's in a moment. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a getaway. Mm -hmm. It's a getaway. And, and what used to be prior to this was just like, oh man, going out, I want to catch as many fish as possible Mm -hmm. to now it's, it's, it's that it's, it's a luxury to be there and you want to, you want to take every minute that you're out there to do it. So, you know, when you're catching catfish and the two guys that you're fishing with are making fun of you because you caught them on a Euronymph, (laughs) it makes it that much uh, that much more pleasing. Remember I talked about fishing with Alvin Dito? Yeah. He always makes me use a crawfish pattern. And guess what you catch when you use crawfish patterns? Catfish. Catfish. <laughs> but it's it's that. And it's, it, it is, I don't know. It is kind of, it, 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 it was as, 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 I don't know, as traumatic as that part of life was, mm-hmm. you know, being under 35 and as, you know, Cancer, I think it was like 33 or what? I don't even know yeah. how old I am. I was going to say, you're not 32. supposed to have it at this age. I'm supposed to have right. it at my age. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Right. You know, I'm a kid has just been born, you know, wife having to basically be a single parent for a month because I can't be within them because I'm radiating. Right. Um, you know, it, 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 it was mentally challenging. But in the same sense, it's like, okay, I know, I know how far I can go mentally as much as I don't want to go there again. 
you learn a lot about yourself for sure on, yeah. on pain tolerances and your mental tolerances and stuff. And, and you know, I, I hit depression. I did all of that. Went through mm-hmm. the, did what you needed to do to get went through, through it. all the stages. Yeah, went through all the stages. And it was after the fact. And it was like, okay, I, great. I, I have, I, I, I accept it. I've been at this point where I had it. Everyone's saying at this point in time, everything's good. And you think, oh, okay, great. This is fantastic. I don't have to worry about it. And it's like, okay, we'll see you in six months. Yeah. Never goes away. Yeah, it never it never goes away. It's right. oh, it's always a constant. It's always there, um, and I'm reminded every six months when I go in and going in for those those things are are always just a mental challenge and just mentally challenging. Right. So I try to take a day off off after those things and get out, you know, or take the kid. Hey, let's we're just gonna go to the river. Let's go have fun, and and get out. And and I think it's become that. It's become a getaway. Um. You know, and it's a getaway, you know, I still <laughs> on some certain medications for things, but it's a getaway where I feel like I don't have to worry about this. The anxiety is gone. I can kind of relax, but you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's been a challenge. It's been a journey. Hey, Landon, I got to follow that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So there's three that I can think of. One that replies to, to exactly what you said. And that is, is that I have seen that same thing and how people can get recovery through fly fishing and i have seen that same aspect and there was this one guy that told me when i I give speeches to small groups sometimes and and i love public speaking and so that's why i do it and i asked that same question we started going around the group and that's what this one guy said it it reminds me of this and of this and of this and i thought that was a good answer but the two favorites i've ever had and he's listening to this podcast right now and that's richard rosenberg aka dick I asked Dick that question because he's my best friend in the world. If I were a woman, I'd call her him my BFF, right? <laughs> and Dick, when I asked him the question, he goes, well, Jim, it's like this. Okay, I went down to the fly shop, and I picked up this, and he went through the whole process. He got the equipment, got out to the water, cast out. He wasn't catching. He saw him surfacing. He changed the fly. Still wasn't catching. Changed the fly. He finally caught. He brings it in. He releases it. And that's why I like fly fishing. He tells the whole story. Great answer. It's the whole experience. So, two weeks ago, I asked Alvin Dido, most famous fly fisherman on the internet. <laughs> and guess what his answer was? <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> Good answer, right? <laughs> I mean, in two words, he put it better than anybody else. Yeah. It's fun. And that's why I thought, yeah, I make way too much of this. I get into that PhD thing of my son and try to get real deep into this understanding of it is. And what Alvin said was, is so true. It's fun. And that's really (laughs) it. I have a follow-up question to all this. made me Uh think, do you guys feel like, uh, you're kind of building off what I talked about earlier, I feel like I'm a better person to friends and family if I have been outside or gone fishing recently clearly i talk about that all the time when i first get back at first i go thank you thank you thank you for letting me go because i found myself yeah yeah so as my question was going to be do you feel like y'all are better to the loved ones around you after you go fishing or spend time outside my wife kicks me out of the house when she knows that there's a real recovery retreat coming She's, mm. like, she's like Gabe. You've Go, been get out of here. You've been get, get out, wow. Get, get you've been here. a rough person to live with, Gabe. Pretty much. You, you need yeah. to, you need to go fishing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. End quarter stuff, all that but stuff. You need those to get who here. love you most know what you need. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I agree. Yeah, because I think so. 
Um, Man, Jim, not he's not letting up on no, yes no I answers. I, I, I want to know. That's good. Yeah, you need <laughs> good. I want to uh, invite it back. That's why I keep doing this. So I'm trying to think of a specific example. I think kind of like what you were saying, and obviously to a different extent. Yeah. But uh, there is something to be said about going out and just for a little while at least everything's off your mind. You know, I used to rock climbing. It's kind of the same thing. But it's because you're thinking the entire time about what you're doing and everything that's happening around you rather than anything else that's going on, you know. And, you know, it's it's funny. When I was younger, I used to escape and, like, recuperate by, like, going around people and, like, recharging, you know. But now, like, as I get older, um, I recharge – by by getting in nature, kind of like what you were saying, right? But mainly just like by being on my own, not even thinking about what's going on, but just taking a moment for myself to do something that's fun, you know? Mm-hmm. Just to go out and do something that's rewarding, you know? Um, when you catch a fish, there it is rewarding, right? You worked hard for it. And uh, if you go out and you don't catch a fish, it is still exciting. There's still, you learn something every time you go out. And there is still so much to see and experience when you don't catch a fish. But when you do catch a fish, there is something to be said about that, right? Like it, I don't want to say you earn it, but you kind of do, right? It Mm. it is, it's a reward for going out and doing that thing. Um, And so I think you can also. Yeah, nobody ever caught a a fish by sitting on the couch. Right. And so I think Mm. you can take, there's. I, I hate saying the word pride, but you can take a little pride in that, right? So you can have the worst week ever, but I know I can go to my honey hole and catch a couple fish, and I can go back and be like, you know what? A lot of things did not go right this week, but I got a couple things that went great, Yeah, you know? So I don't know. I think, and then taking that back home, I mean, how can you not be in a better mood, be, in a, be a better person, right. you know? Right. No one, I, you know what? <laughs> I got a couple five-inch panfish. I'm on top of the world, you know. I've done that more than once when I'm floating down and I look in the other boat and I see Gabe over there, right, <laughs> just sitting there drinking a beer or whatever. I go, dude, I'm not really good at this, but I'm thinking you have to have your fly in the water to catch a fish. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you have to actually have line in the water. Yep, you yeah, can't yeah. be sitting on the couch. You got to actually fish. Yeah. You know, Jim, you'll you'll like this because you watched uh, the video where I climbed to that cave. I did. Um, and you, you had commented on it. I stopped at the rope is what I said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I yeah. I'm turning around, dude. But then I saw the view and I thought, hey. Yeah. Uh, but what I did, you know, I got back to the boat. I'm on a fishing trip, right? Yeah, the of expect- course. Expe- expectation. The, Smith, the friggin' Smith. The Smith. Yeah. The expectation is that my line is going to be wet, you know, is going to be on the water like every minute that I'm on the boat. And then when I get back to camp, I'm going to continue to fish. But... Did that hike to the cave? Wore my butt out because it wasn't a hike. It was literally a climb. If yep. you haven't seen the video, it's on YouTube. They had placed a rope because you're literally like scaling. And if you see the cave from the river, you're like, how do you get up there? Um, and so I hiked up there with our guide. My dad stayed down and fished. When I got back to the river, propped my feet up, leaned back in my chair, and just looked up at the canyon walls. And I was perfectly happy doing that and enjoying that moment because of what Zach had said, that accomplishment of, like, 
not that I caught a fish, but making that climb was extremely difficult and hiking up there. And then I just want to come back down, enjoy the scenery, enjoy the moment, catch some footage and have a good time. I talked to Gabe about that earlier this morning, this afternoon or evening. And that was, it's in your permanent memory bank. That's not just some memory you're going to remember for a little while. The rest of your mm-hmm. life, you're going to remember that memory. Absolutely. It's a good one. It's a good one. All right, Jim. We have time for you. You had a couple questions, but we have time I for did. you to ask one more question. You'll have to save the rest for the next time you come on. Yeah. All right. All right. And then, uh, I guess that the one I that one I always think about is is that what is a fly? Yes. <laughs> ah, yes. The classic. And uh, classic. the problem I have with this is is that I shared it with Gabe earlier, and that is if you saw my license plate, it's T U dude. And the funny thing about that is I go to over to the Fort Bend County registrar, right, to go get the license plate. And she goes, oh, Sylvia Gonzalez. And she goes, two dude. Oh, T-U is also the uh, word for the informal you in Espanol, in Spanish, <laughs> right? Dude, yeah. You, dude. <laughs> you, dude. So I didn't think about that. So, But the reality is, is that's, that's who I am and that's who I – well, I'm around all these other fly fishers all the time. And when they talk about it, they go, well – what fly are you using? I'm going to go, I'm going to use this. And I pull out a mop fly, if you know what that is. Oh, yeah. That's not a fly. That's it. That shouldn't even be a fly. Okay. So then I pull out a San Juan worm. Oh, now that's even worse because it has the word worm, right? Okay, so I've called it squiggly. Is it okay? You know? Well, if any of you have been fishing in the saltwater, you know what I'm talking about. There's also an aluminum spoon fly. Very effective against redfish, and I use it all the time. But now I'm talking about a fly that doesn't even have any feathers, just aluminum and a hook. Then I'm down in Christmas Island, and I'm fishing. And every time I catch, I'm just I'm catching a bunch of, I mean, I'm not joking about a few. I was averaging 15 to 20 bonefish a day. It was a huge trip. And the guide, every time I come over after I caught three or four, what are you using? And I'd show him, and it was all acrylic with a little feather coming out of the back. He'd shake his head, cut the fly off, give it to me, tie on feather, and I'd cast, and he'd walk away. I'd cut it off. I'd tie it back on my fly, and he'd start catching fish. It caught fish, but it was acrylic. So I asked the three of you, what is a fly? Was I using a fly in every one of those circumstances? We were talking about, at dinner time music and the different different music genres or, or, or songs that are out there that mm-hmm. our age are like, oh, that's too loud. <laughs> is there, or this, is this even music, you mm-hmm. know? And, and we were talking about, the, you know, how, how the older generation were thinking how Beethoven came out at that time. And like, what is this? What is this? What is this, right? And we've brought this up before on that question of, of you know, we can go back and say, look, the proper form of, of, of fly fishing is dry flies. Right, because I mean that—that that was it. If you did anything else, you were not a purist. Get out you of here! Heathen. Well, I still think. You were a heathen. And That's what you still <laughs> and and, I, and then you know we get into wet flies, and then we we're, we're getting into stuff, and then that the spook, you know that um, you know chases fly. Yeah, not a fly. See, <laughs> right. <laughs> I struggle with this a lot because damn it, if a squirmy worm doesn't catch fish. Especially in high water, yeah, I find and, it very effective, and it 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 works, and it and it's good. I just 
I, I don't I don't know what the answer is, and I'm I'm coming to that realization that it's always going to be ever changing, and um and I and I think there is something to be said of taking six months or even a season, especially down here, and dry fly fishing, just dry fly fishing. And I think those will make you a better angler in the long run, um, because you're doing something that was that was originally done back in the day. Uh, but all the other stuff, I, I don't know. I don't think there's ever going to be. Unfortunately, there's just it's too late. It's done with with Instagram and all of that. It's just a downhill battle of of what we're going to have. I mean, I would say a mop fly is more of a fly than a squirmy worm is. Yeah, but still. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's it, it's tough. We're at least saying, okay, well, is there a difference in me applying uh, epoxy and 50-pound mono around to make a spoon on it? Is, does, is, is it? is it that that's much better? Which is the fact that it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's still a spoon fly is, you know, and they work. I, I, I'm coming to the point where it just doesn't matter. You know, I think it's going to be a personal preference. And if you're fine with it and you can live with yourself with it, okay. Just like people who tin care of. I was yeah. about to say, I was about to end with as long as you don't tin care of. If you can look at your wife in the face at the end of the day. Hey, then, man. Yeah. Every night I go to bed, I tell my wife, hey, I'm going to tin care sometime soon. <laughs> uh, no. I. I um, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I've always gone by like uh, this is, has been my answer. But after our conversation tonight, I've had some deep thought based on your guys' Good. answer on some of these Good. questions. My, I'm looking my, for the deep thought. My uh, answer has always been: if it's tied to a hook with thread, it's a fly. Yeah, thank you. That's it. Tied to a hook with thread is a fly. What if it's just glued? Yeah, because there was that gentleman tied awesome flies. Uh, they didn't tie; he just glued. He just glued them, but they looked so cool. Those oh, little uh, uh, mice. He was a real recovery guy. Yeah. Oh, I forgot his name, but man, his they were all epoxied uh, flies, all real small nymph. Um, man, they were just so cool. Yeah, they were. It was cool to watch him tie without thread. But they were in thread, and so yeah, it, it's. But well, the, the pair, am I saying that wrong? Pair of grim, pair of, where am I thinking about that new nymph that they're using? Vertigone? Isn't that lots of epoxy on it? Yeah, but it's, the the whole thing is is tied with thread, though. You're tying, yeah, that's true. You're, that's you're, true. You're, the, the inner part of it is, is a normal thread, thread, cover, yeah. and they're just covering, covering with yeah, epoxy. epoxy. Yeah. See, so I, I think I got an answer. My answer, so the, uh, tying with, a, it has to be tied to a hook with thread. If you can do that, it's a fly. That's always been my answer. My answer after our conversation tonight, listening to Zach's answer about why do you fly fishing, Gabe's answer, and me thinking about my answer, does the fly really matter if we are going out and meeting our needs and then coming home to our family a better person because of being out on the water? Thank you. Yeah, Absolutely. I I think it matters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Zach, go ahead. No, yeah. no, I, uh, I, I, no, I didn't mean to ruin your moment. I'm sorry. <laughs> and it was a good one, and you really did I, trash it. I did, know. man. What a good friend uh, you are. Uh, I don't think it matters. I really don't. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know a guy that throws Texas rigs on. Yeah. on now, like I, I would say realistically, if you don't have to reapply anything. What do you mean if you don't have to reapply anything? Like, you know, like with gold bait, you're going to throw it, it's going to fall off, and then you have to reapply it. With a Texas rig, you're going to throw it, eventually they're going to eat it, and, or they're going to tear it to shreds, and you have to reap, you know, put a new worm on the hook. One of the first times that I had a fly rod in my hand going trout fishing just below the dam 
was, I mean, it was like, it's got to be the first year I was doing this stuff. And we go down there, and I'm I'm at this, I'm at that little the sidewalk area or whatever, and this guy's fly fishing. So I was, oh man, that's cool. He's fly fishing, and I should have known right off the bat because he's wearing like one of those like onesie hunting <laughs> jackets, and uh, he he's casting it out. And he's letting it dead drift. He's letting it dead drift, and he he finally picks it out of the water, and. Reaches down to his bag and pulls a metal can to grab his corn to put it back on the hook and cast it out. <laughs> he had a fly rod with fly line and a leader and a hook, but the hook he was putting corn corn on. I see, so if he, that guy he, he was reapplying. He was reapplying. So, it, so I guess. It but if but he had if tied he it, I would tied it with but, some thread. But does it? If he's out no, there, he's got to reapply. Right, but if he's out there yeah. having a good time. To Landon's point, exactly that. And having a good time. Who am I to judge if he's gotten out oh, and he's doing what he wants to do? That's that's where I think we. And you're right. That's it's just like it doesn't matter. These are your own, like what you want to do, you know. Mm-hmm. But don't put your thoughts and don't put baby in a corner. Yeah, you know. Well put. Yeah. Don't don't. I don't care what you do. Mm-hmm. All I care is if Gabe only catches trash fish while he's Euro nymphing. I yeah. do. That's and the only thing that I matters. I hope you only catch tra- trash fish when I'm with you. That way I, I can, can catch get- the other fish. Yeah. But Landon, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm so disappointed in you, buddy. <laughs> You're supposed to ask me two questions. Remember the second question? <laughs> Yeah, I do. What's your most memorable fish on the fly? Thank you for asking, Lynn. <laughs> yeah. well, the reason you were, I were really... You know, I've caught huge fish, like I talked about. Jurassic Lake, the thing everyone heard about, Lago Strobel, 34-and-a-half-inch trout. I mean, come on, right? Quijack, the most famous river in all of Alaska. It comes out of the Lake Iliama, 30-inch, 32-inch. I mean, I've caught them. Kamchatka, Russia, 30-inch. First time I caught 30-inch trout. Gentlemen, my favorite fish of all time, eight inches. Cutthroat. Native. I'm in central Utah with Richard Rosenberg, who's listening to this podcast. And so, hey, Richard, thanks for taking me down there. We heard rumors of water at this one valley. So we drive down as far as we can drive, and it wasn't very far. Then we had to park the car. Then we had to hike. And we had to hike. And we had to hike all the way down to the bottom of the valley. And then Dick comes running back up because he's ahead of me in the trail. And he goes, you're going to love this, Jim. And you come down, you look at the water, and you can tell it's going to be good fishing. So sure enough, we catch a few cutthroat. I start wading further up. But now it's getting hard. And then there's heavy brush. And I'm not just talking heavy brush like it's difficult. It's impossible to walk through. And yet I'm walking through, holding my rod above my head, pushing my way through this water because somewhere up there is a pool. And I finally come to it. And I start seeing, in fact, just the feet kicking up. Nymphs, right? And the fish are going nuts over this. All of them, ten to ten, 8 to 10 inches. Cutthroat. Boom, I catch one. Boom, I catch another. I yell as loud as I can. Dick, catch up. Because I can't get there. I, yes, you can. And I can hear him coming through the bush slowly. And he finally makes it up there. And he saw the same thing I saw. It was the most remarkable experience of catching wild trout in the most unusual place. It was difficult to get to, and we're all by ourselves, and we're with my best friend. That was the best fish I ever caught. I think that's a good place to end. I don't know of a better place. I can't either. All right, boys. 
Hasta this was luego. a good show. This was a good show. I'm, I'm pumped up. Jim, thank you. Thanks hey, for coming absolutely on, awesome. Hey, you're invite welcome. me back, guys. I, I love the booze. I am yeah, looking forward to the next yeah, time. Already. You're welcome back anytime. Yes. <laughs> I got a bunch more questions for you. Exactly. <laughs> we have to we'll have to. We'll, we'll have plenty to cover next time. Yeah. <laughs>